0: The garden help you need Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 Powered by Palladio Home and Garden With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry,
1: and Jim Crowder
2: Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening Glad you can join us this early, chilly Morning, I'm Beta with Palladio.
3: Burr, 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 and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder.
2: I mean, why is this, why, why is why? it cold like because this? Because well, we live is, in Memphis. It is winter, so yeah. that's why. The
0: Oriental Magnolias are in bloom, which means there will be a freeze.
2: Yeah, didn't somebody... <laughs> I have heard that before, too, and I guess that's going to be our new telltale sign <laughs> that when they bloom, get ready for a freeze. I saw
3: some with beautiful white blooms, like overnight. They weren't there, and then the next did. day I look out the window, and they're there. I'm that's, like,
2: mm-hmm. what the heck? That's it, what I thought, too. In
3: beautiful bloom, and then I saw some of the, uh, you know, the magenta-colored uh th- deciduous magnolias in bloom and like jim said you know what if they're in bloom you know there's going to be a freeze because they never those blooms never make it ever
2: do they they not no Mm. no i've
3: seen some good
0: years but normally they're not in bloom for another three weeks
3: i know and what is the deal with that i mean just this unusual warm temperature Mm -hmm. after this really cold
2: spell Uh that we had right i saw i Talking about in all the United States, who was ahead, how much, like way in the no- northern areas, they're ahead by three weeks. We're ahead by like a week. I'm thinking, I'm thinking we're ahead a little yeah, more, than more than that. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking a little more than that because we are just finished Valentine's Day. Normally things kind of start popping now, right? Yeah, for yeah. normally
3: would start around now. And they've been blooming mm-hmm. for two weeks already. Yeah. At least, yeah. You know, and then I saw some of the. God-awful, dead-looking spireas, this, construct- yeah. uh, this commercial site, has them just all over the place. And, man, they're starting to flush mm-hmm. out. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I thought those things were probably dead. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're looking, I mean, they're coming on out. So I'm thinking, okay, m- just maybe mm-hmm. things are going to be better than
2: even I expect. Yeah. I kind of figured spirea, I was hoping for the spirea. They seem like they should have been hardy enough. Yeah. But definitely the camellias are just not... I don't know. What have you seen now?
0: I say the ones at my house, the, the main trunks are still green, mm-hmm. um, but all the side branches don't show any growth, yeah. any green at all. And the young plants that have been only been in for a couple of years, they don't.
4: They yeah. Don't and, and you know what's going to happen? I mean, mm-hmm.
3: when things finally do flush out, you know, fully this spring, depending on the weather, that'll tell us when. I mean, yes, we know some things are going to look a lot better than we expect. But we also know that some things are going to have a good bit of damage on them. And we'll know at that point what to go in there and cut out, right? Mm -hmm. But my point is, when we get to that point, then we're going to have to make a decision. (laughs) Hey, do I want this little one arm bandit here for, you know, three years, you know, give it that long to (laughs) kind of flush back out, you know, and look decent? (laughs) Or do I go ahead and just replace this thing? You know, so there are going to be some things that are still alive, but Mm -hmm. we're probably still going to dig up and replace. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or plant in the boneyard.
3: Yeah, you know,
2: so or find your right,
3: find your spot mm. where you don't care. Just dig it up, yeah. put it over there, and eventually it's going to look good again. Right. But surely, you, you know, so it, it's
2: it's kind of it's it's just one of those,
3: I guess, average, you know, Memphis winters.
2: But now we're going to be seventy, almost eighty. Uh,
3: that's my these plants know. don't know what mm-hmm. to do.
2: I was reading around, you know, the community on what's going on and. I'm reading, well, my distilliums have died. What am I going to replace them with? Or my uh, nandinas or my camellias, what Mm -hmm. am I going to replace them with? And I'm saying I'm going to replace them with the same thing Mm -hmm. because I'm, I mean, I'm not a weatherman. But, you know, if you think about it, we don't do this every winter. (laughs) And how long have the camellias lived before we've had some devastating freeze to knock them down?
3: Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah. but and as we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I mean, are we going to shy away from these shrubs that mm-hmm. are, you know, f- susceptible to the damage that we're seeing because of this freaky one-time event? We hope, Flash
2: freeze, yeah. you know, or
3: maybe a once in every twenty-year event, mm-hmm. you know, weather pattern. So, I mean, I don't know, yeah. but the only the one that I'm more disturbed about anything than anything really are the distilliums. And mm-hmm. I, I do hope that they come back Because to me that was kind of a promising Shrub yeah. Because it, it replaces a lot Of other shrubs, mm-hmm. it fits the bill A lot of people that used to plant boxwoods There are some distillium out there that look Like a boxwood, okay The auto-looking laurels, we already know the problem With those, the root rot, the you know, Shot hole disease, a lot of people were replacing those With distillium, so to me it was such a Versatile shrub, mm-hmm. because there are So many different varieties, so many different Sizes, and there's a there's a spot for a distillium i don't care you look around your landscape i promise you you can find a spot for some beautiful distillium
2: right. hey jim when was the last um one that knocked our camellias out <clears throat> well the worst proximally. one was
0: back i think uh in about 83 mm-hmm. you know that killed mature ones even in the inside the city here. oh wow uh and I so people's st- Stopped planting them because they thought they were going to lose them. And so. we had, the problem also is we had, we replanted after that and we had a couple of bad winters that damaged them. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so people just stopped planting them a whole lot. Oh. Um, and we saw a resurgence in after 2000, I guess, yeah. where yeah. people started, you know, oh wow, the flowers are just so spectacular. Let's put them back in. Um
2: so we mm-hmm. went basically forty years yeah. without a, a devastating killing right. weather or winter. So I'm thinking it's worth replanting a camellia. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. So definitely that the distilliums I'm still going back with
3: yeah. Them. But do we know about the distilliums yet? I mean, do we? I mean, because oh, I haven't seen any come, come back out. Yeah. The, the couple that are at Christie's house,
0: my, my daughter's house, are dead. They're dead. They're, They're dead. dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. um
2: and but do we they've know, been fine weren't they fine they were fine last year oh yeah and the year before
5: yeah these
0: have been there several years and do we yeah. know anything about the laurels for sure yet you know the autolucans and the skips and the, I have not seen any close up yeah to know for sure
2: yeah so I have the oh which laurel is it chestnut laurel yeah chestnut yeah. hill yeah and they're not showing any signs of coming back either. And they were in a really protected area. And, and, you know,
3: that's another one of those things. And we've said this, you know, the the last thing people want to hear is, hey, guys, let's just be patient and let's wait and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, people don't want to hear that. They're like, they want to, hey, tell me, give me some good news. Right. You know, let me know for sure these things are going to come back out. And the thing is, we just don't know yet. So it's it's one of those crazy
2: winters where we are going to just have to kind of mm-hmm. wait and see what does flush back out. Exactly. And we're going to be tired of waiting. And then when spring does hit, we're just going to take it out and move on. You think so? Yeah. Mostly. Yeah, mostly. I think we're just tired of looking at it and don't want to wait for it to recover. I'm yeah, thinking, you know,
0: Even if it flushes from the main trunk. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be, like you said, three, yeah. four years yeah. before it's really going to look good mm-hmm. again. We're not going to wait one, on that.
2: Right. And the one armed bandit standing there, Kenneth. Yeah. We're not gonna, <laughs> yeah.
3: That just is just not
0: going to get
2: it. I'm telling you. Or I can see, like the camellia, it's a straight trunk and then it's got all these little, little things on the sides trying to grow. Yeah. yeah so and go I, dig your camellias up today and start well, looking I'm, for others you know, to plant.
0: The ones I've got that are, they're established 12, 15 years old. Um, You know, those I'm going to cut back hard, you Mm -hmm. know, probably near the ground uh, and let them flush again. Uh, And I think they're going to be fine. You know, But but you
3: still lose all of your height that you had. I do, but
0: they're kind of background plants behind azaleas, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I think are going to flush. So um, I think within two years, they'll be back to their full glory. Yeah, that's
2: what I was, to get over the, to grow over the top of the azaleas, because there's a big root ball. So it's oh, yeah. going to grow out much quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've
0: got a lot of roots
3: with no top,
0: and mm-hmm. it's, it's going to come back hard when it does.
3: Well, yeah. I did get out there and do some scratching on an old-fashioned hydrangea the other day, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find any green tissue. Hmm. Now, and, and what that tells me is I still don't think this hydrangea is dead. Right. Uh, I think no, it might be dead flush. to the ground. <laughs> Red uh, no blooms. Yeah, oh, so I'm, it's based I'm starting over with this hydrangea. I yeah. mean, I'm going to cut it back as far as I, you know, 2 2 inches off the ground if that's what I have to do, but it'll be back to full glory but this year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I know how fast yeah. they grow, but
2: yeah. so I just kind of hate that. Full glory no blooms maybe?
0: Yeah, unless it's a rebloomer, you may get some mm-hmm. late season a few, blo- few blooms. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, a few years back we had Uh, spring where it just it killed them all to the ground and there was none that was sad uh, and mine were back five feet tall you know and six feet wide by the end of the season so i mean they were came back really really fast
2: well i think we're uh going to have to just plant a whole bunch of annuals this season to compensate (laughs) for the type of blooms we're going to miss But let's go to a break we'd love for y'all to give us a call or post questions on the facebook live our phone number is 901-260-5926 Good morning and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. You can give us a call, 901 260 5926, and wake up! Yep. This it, music's making me chill. The phone goes. Yeah. You can
3: always go to the Mighty990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. And then, of course, streaming live all the time, kwamradio.com. And I noticed, it's almost, I guess, yesterday, that there are some things that are growing really well. Uh, and <laughs> that Maybe is... I that look
2: really nice right now. That it looks yeah, like it's never happened. Healthy, the plump, yeah.
3: just good old broadleaf weeds. <laughs> They're yeah, starting to come up, and you know, is it, true. and my lawn has been completely dormant. It's Bermuda mm-hmm. and, and some Zoysia, and now I'm starting to see a little bit of green broadleaf weeds growing, especially around the edges of the lawn. Oh,
2: so you're gonna have some good salad tonight. Listen to
3: her, <laughs> and so I'm thinking okay, you know, Mother Nature has got her ways of protecting, uh, you know, a lot of these plants, including these dying weeds. So... Uh, because
2: you know, they're food so we're fortunate that it didn't knock food our for food
3: a, for a goat
2: <laughs> i just i'm just pushing you know, well, for a goat but i'm thinking but you greatest know, of all time yeah there, there you go <laughs> <laughs>
3: good one the uh if you've got broadleaf weeds uh clover dandelions mostly chickweed henbit those kind of things that you're seeing growing you know this early in the season Uh, There is some broadleaf weed killers uh, that you can use early in the year. It needs to be, for example, like the uh, Bonide Weed Beater Ultra or the Fertilone Weed Free Zone. Uh, The Weed Free Zone, as long as it's above 45 degrees, uh, that product will work. And that's the beauty of this particular broadleaf weed killer. That sounds like
2: me. If it's above 45 degrees, I will work. work. We'll all work, (laughs) right? And, of course,
3: between 45 and 90 degrees. Um, So if if you've got broadleaf weeds starting to pop up in your established Bermuda or zoysia, uh, get out there and and give those things, whether you're spot treating or whether you're spraying the whole lawn, depending on how many weeds you have. But don't think that you can't get a jump on these broadleaf weeds. Uh, this early in the year
2: because oh, so, you can. So it's looking like Saturday, Sunday, Monday are good days to spray. Then it's maybe going to rain Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah,
3: and ideally, no. I mean, they you know, weed-free zone is, is rain fast in as little as three hours. But I still mm-hmm. like to tell people, if you know it's going to rain within 24 hours, kind of hold off,
2: mm-hmm. you know? yeah. Uh, I know we still have that thought. I just can't believe it could be rain fast in three hours. Right,
3: right. But uh, but usually give it a good spray and come back in about 10 days, two weeks. If need be, spray it again. But I'm telling you guys, this stuff will do a really good job on these broadleaf weeds, even in these these cool temperatures. And that's what I love about the product, because you can get out there and start spraying much earlier than mm-hmm. you could with some of the old technology that we had
2: yeah. years ago. Yeah. What, what's the difference, Jim? Why does the old technology, um, wh- had a temperature thing. How did they fix that?
0: Well, what they did, they used a different chemical that is not actually a true plant hormone. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the, the 2,4 2, D, 2,4,5 T, MCPP work when the, the plant is actively growing and makes it grow faster. Okay, so it just it, makes it grow itself. That's right. That's the <laughs> reason. So often, when you got a rain after that, you'd actually see it grow uh-huh. and not kill because uh-huh. it's kind of so, like a super fertilizer. Um, but normally, what it does, it makes the plant grow so rapidly that the water system inside the plant ruptures and then it withers ooh, and dies. Torture. Uh, with uh, the newer products that have carventrazone, mm-hmm. those work and can work at a lower temperature. Uh, and but they work differently they don't it's not a stimulant like Mm -hmm. the plant hormones are uh, so you get the best of both worlds. You've got the chemicals that work really well when the plant's actively growing and, and some when they're dormant.
2: Ah, I gotcha. So
0: it's, uh, they are good products. Now, you know, there are a couple of things would want to warn whenever you're using broadleaf weed killer is stay out of the, the root zone of existing trees, mm-hmm. particularly shallow rooted trees, maples, dogwoods, mm-hmm. Japanese maples. It's okay to go in there and spray spot spray a few weeks that's not going to damage your tree but try not to go in there just broadcast spray under the root zone Mm -hmm. and also of course watch your wind Uh, you know you don't want to get out there and it's blowing because it can travel great distances in the wind Uh, almost always every year get some damage from the yards that are being sprayed around me, Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Uh, because they'll, they'll spray it too close to that critical temperature of of 85 degrees or so or they'll spray it when it's windy and it just Mm -hmm. it follows the wind and goes over fences and gets the plants on the other side uh it's the wind currents will really do weird things with it
4: yeah
2: i guess so such little particles it can i mean obviously we see what little particles can do um what about so when you were saying sometimes the more the heat is the more volatile it'll make a, a spray
0: that's right most of the the uh, there are some that aren't as volatile, like 240 amine, um, but most of them will vaporize when you get temperatures around 85 degrees plus. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to be very careful with the broad
3: leaves.
2: Right. So, see, there's a reason on the label (laughs) that says do not do not apply when
3: it when temperatures exceed 86 or 90 degrees
2: otherwise you would have to read everything jim just said on the label so just under certain conditions
0: too it can vaporize even even at lower temperatures Mm -hmm. in fact um there's been some lawsuits going on about dicamba Mm and the dicamba like Roundup Ready, they're dicamba-ready crops. But under certain weather conditions, it can vaporize as low as 70 degrees and Mm -hmm. damage other crops around. So there's been a number of lawsuits by farmers because of that very thing.
2: And they probably weren't aware that could happen.
0: Yeah, it's a weird weather situation where you get a temperature inversion near the ground, uh, and it tells you on the label. Don't do it if this is happening, you know, and farmers are supposed to be sharp uh-huh. enough to understand, yeah. watch their weather patterns to know that this is going to happen.
2: So I wonder if technology is going to take our senses away of what to do. You mean... You know, like you said, a farmer should be smart enough to understand the weather patterns, but right. we have so much technology that you almost don't have to think about the weather. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, yeah, weather. you know, that's they use the tools weather tools mm-hmm. just like i do you know mm-hmm. i pick
2: up
3: and look at the radar on my phone right uh,
2: but so. you still have a, a a feeling of of what happens in our in our area well
3: and but what we're saying overall is you know when it comes to killing weeds whether it's uh, the broadleaf weed killers whether it's the the grassy weed killers and everything in between you know take a minute just to read the label understand the label surely understand the temperature restrictions mm-hmm. that are on there because they're on there for a reason it's not that you just might burn some of your lawn yeah it means that you could do some damage to a lot of stuff in your landscape and even across mm-hmm. the fence over there so uh but the beauty like i said of that weed free zone for example is you can use it starting now this early in the year as long as it's above 45 degrees and like jim was saying th- the biggest thing is and we see this all the time you know, just don't do a broad spray, a general spray within the drip line of these desirable trees. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the things you got to watch out for.
2: And then there's always one of the things we've discussed is now you can spray Roundup on dormant lawns, but are our lawns dormant? Absolutely sure not. Look yeah. at, it's not
0: labeled
3: that way. Uh,
2: so just don't. Just don't, I just mean, don't so, do it. Yeah.
3: Well, and what you're saying is we we do see and hear a lot of people mixing Roundup mm-hmm. in a sprayer and spraying their, what they think is their dormant lawn mm-hmm. because and technically it's not going to kill anything that's not actively growing. So their lawn looks dormant, but they're spraying the lawn to kill anything that's green, mm-hmm. in this case weeds, that are in their lawn, right? Well, lo and behold, that lawn that looked dormant is not dormant, yeah. so they're yeah. doing a ton of damage to their... In fact, they're probably killing their lawn mm-hmm. doing it that.
0: Yeah, when you pull up Bermuda, you'll see that it's got little nodes where the grass comes out, and it's right now it looks brown. But inside that node, there is a little green tissue, a little... Car, little um, uh, Little storage food, capsule of, storage yeah. capsule of food there to kick that grass off mm-hmm. first thing in the spring. That's the reason we see a lot of times when uh, people cut their lawn way short and only leave one or two nodes mm-hmm. down there, and those can be killed. Like we, we yeah. say, at, at about eight degrees, mm-hmm. then it won't. There's nothing there to kick it back off in the spring. Mm-hmm. You may get some root sprouting, that. but you've basically top killed the lawn. So that's the reason we want to leave it up three to. Three inches or so, and get multiple nodes on there, so that it the we get some, some cold, saying, Jim, yeah, because yeah, you get the protection of the grass and the wind,
3: mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's much healthier for your lawn to to keep it high. And so, so Roundup. We're not saying don't use Roundup. You can go out, you can go out there and spot, spot treat. Yeah. anything that's green in your lawn this time of year with Roundup. Now it works a little slower in cooler temperatures. But don't ever go out there, and it's not recommended to go out there and spray what you think is a dormant lawn and spray the whole lawn, thinking that you're going to kill just what's green and growing, in this case, which would be the weeds. Yeah. Yeah. It is
0: safe to use up under the drip line of the trees because it can't be absorbed through the roots. It only goes through green tissue. Uh, so I mean, it's the basically the only post-emerge herbicide we have for use in vegetable gardens because it can't. You want know, you know, to stay away from tomatoes; they're green underground. So you know,
3: anything else, pretty much, you can spray cl- close to it without damaging your vegetables. Well, and that's why so many people also would go in their their beds. Mm-hmm. And they'll spot treat weeds that are in their beds. Let's say if you've got a row of azaleas, you can spray all around the azaleas. Just don't get it on the azalea. Now, we're not talking about going in there and saturating the soil with yeah, this product right, either. I'm right. not just spraying just the, the foliage of mm-hmm. a weed that's in the bed because it only kills what it comes in contact with, and it doesn't leach through the soil like Jim said. You know, and cut the pressure down. Don't pump
0: your – if you're using a handheld tank sprayer, don't want to pump it up a lot, just – a l- Because the more pressure you've gotten on it, the finer the mist. And the more likely it is that when you spray, you're going to get mist to drift to anything else. So keep it to where it's basically just kind of dripping out of the nozzle. And that way you're totally safe and not going to worry about damaging nearby perennials or anything like that.
2: Yeah, and also when you're spraying it's really like one swath you just kind of spray over one time i do see people just like just dri- back and forth w- yeah so don't waste it because you're wasting your time and your water and your money and my wife
0: said last week we did a good job of letting the beta talk more so we can watch that
2: i'll just keep busting in there we'll be right back good morning good morning mid-south gardeners all right is it warming up any probably not not yet it's except like, in here yeah that's what i was thinking i guess it could open the door a little bit
3: but if um, you want to give us a call this morning 260 5926 260 or you can shoot us a text on the mighty 990 facebook page
2: all right let's go to jerry calling from south haven good morning jerry you're in the mid-south garden
6: some people do listen to you this time of the morning. Yeah, That's right, Jerry. Heck yeah, buddy. I'm up, here, I'm up here in Yankee land, North Mississippi.
3: <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're bragging. North Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. I,
6: th- I think I am, because I was out in the yard the other day. I looked for right at the women. Uh, my, my unanimous, or where was that yellow bush, mm-hmm. there's not a leaf on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, All my azaleas are like little
4: sticks.
6: (laughs) The variegated boxwoods, they've got leaves, but they don't look too healthy. That's right. Yeah, I mean, Jerry...
3: Yeah, go ahead, buddy.
6: Do you think they'll come back?
0: Well, let's hope the eautomus dies.
2: I apologize, Jerry, for him saying that. I like one. Uh, we
3: we do. I mean, out of those three plants, the euonymus, the boxwoods, and the azaleas, I can tell you uh, every azalea. I mean, and of course, all of the azaleas look horrible. The foliage on every azalea that I've seen is completely burned and brown and ready to fall off, Jerry. But every azalea that I've gone in there and kind of scratched with my thumb, scratched the limbs. They're still really good and green up under there. So I have no doubt that ninety nine percent of the azaleas are going to come back. Okay. As far as the euonymus goes, I mean, I think we're going to have most of the euonymus come back. There could be some damage, you know, towards the tips that we'll eventually have to cut off of there. Uh, But overall, the euonymus should be fine, also. And then, like Jim was saying, he hopes they're all dead because they have the mildew and the scale is so bad. And then the boxwoods. Uh, This is the tricky one. There are so many different varieties of boxwoods on the market. And I know that you said yours with variegated variety. There are, and there's going to be some damage on certain boxwoods, depending on the exposure and the variety that we're talking about. So, you know, the only thing we can do at this point, once again, as Jerry is just kind of wait, let's wait and see what happens. And we'll know sooner or later, you know, how much damage has occurred on those uh, you know, shrubs that you're talking about. But I'm telling you overall, as bad as things look, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised as far as these things coming back out this spring.
6: Yeah, cause, uh two of the azaleas, they were here 20 years ago when I bought this place. Hmm. And then uh, the rest of them are close to 15 years old. Hmm. And I think it was last year. I had one of them that didn't have no leaves. Hmm. And all of a sudden, like it, it came back out. But that unanimous, I dug that thing up from the front of the house, Mm -hmm. just stuck it in the backyard in a spot, Mm -hmm. uh, then decided I was going to use it in another spot. I dug it back up. Well, evidently, I left Mm -hmm. a little bit of root. Mm -hmm. That thing, it's it's a six-foot gap that ain't between the garage and the fence, Mm -hmm. where it's not getting much shade or sun at all. Yeah. That thing grew like crazy. It was six foot tall this past summer when I probably realized it. So I gave it a healthy haircut.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, you know I like those if if I only have one or two of them, but I don't like them in a hedge. And uh, so it came up by a little piece of root that you left.
6: Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, I, mean, I thought it was up was the plant.
2: Well, they—it's amazing how you can buy a plant transplant it here there there won't work dig mm-hmm. it up because you think it's dead and then a little piece comes up and grows like yeah. crazy <laughs> so
3: jim invader what do y'all think about like jerry was saying what do you think about the euonymus as a whole and the you know the boxwoods
0: okay. i think on the euonymus it's going to depend on the age of the plant the type of euonymus because if it's a good strong trunk like manhattan okay. it's probably going to sprout from the trunk yeah. uh if it's fairly young, thin, say, thumb size or smaller, I think it may be killed to the ground. Mm-hmm. I think it, most everything that's top killed, with the exception of maybe distilliums, uh, I think is going to root sprout. Mm-hmm. Um, so well,
6: the There is all I got in front, all those bushes. Um, I've had that English eye to get in there, and I, I don't know what I'm going to do to get rid of it.
4: Right.
6: I was going to give them a healthy haircut after they bloom. Right, yeah and try to pull it out, a little round up. And I thought, well, if I do hurt them bad, I'll just yank them out. That way I can really round up. <laughs> yeah, that's, why, that's why We look at yeah, this I'm as an, a, fall. This is an
0: opportunity.
3: This is not a tragedy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, i got
6: about 30 azaleas in total, uh, different places.
3: Yeah, but I'm telling you, out of all the ones that you mentioned, Jerry, the azaleas, I think, are going to fare better than anything else out there. I mean, even though they look dead, they look horrible. And there's going to be a little damage on them. But every Azalea, like I said, that I've scratched, Veda, mm-hmm. they're just as green as they can be in that tissue. So they're they're going to more or less flush back out.
6: Well, let's hope so. I need to have to spend some money out there, Dan West.
2: <laughs> Come on, Jerry.
6: <laughs> anyway, y'all take care.
3: All
2: right. Thank, thank you for the call. No, Thanks, buddy. Yeah, yesterday uh, I was talking to someone about all the things that they may have to replant. And I said, yeah, they say this is going to be a good year for the nurseryman. And she goes, yeah, and a bad year for me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then, you know, we're hearing, you know, people talk like you're saying, Veda, customers and, and everybody in between about what potentially this could turn into as far as, you know, people digging up a lot of shrubs and trying to replace them. And then, you know, you start hearing about people, well, what about the supply chain on mm-hmm. the shrubs? Yeah. You know, is it going to be another one of those years where it's going to be hard to get things like it has been the last three right. years? So, you know. You know,
2: I, the, like you have to give it to a lot of our growers that I've been seeing this happen a lot. Instead of them making an order and then sending immediately, they're actually watching weather for us as well. Like, you know, we're going to hold this week. We're not going to send it because it's going to be icy or, you know, things like that. So I'm really glad to see growers are doing that. But at the same time, in all the emails I've gotten, it's like, oh, hurry, mm-hmm. <laughs> spring's on the way. Mm-hmm. Get your get your everything booked now before or start getting your stuff in because we may have a shortage because right. everyone's going to be transplanting and things like that. So they're, they're saying, you know, at least get your act together. Or we're not going to have to send it right yeah. now. But I I don't know if there will be. We'll
3: see. I mean, because think about that flash freeze we're talking about three weeks ago. It didn't stop here at the Mississippi-Tennessee line. It kept going Mm -hmm. south. Yeah. And it kept going towards Nashville also. And a lot of these growers, you know, out toward middle Tennessee and even, you know, south of us, even down in Alabama. Uh they got some really cold temperatures down there also. Yeah, a lot of these things are outside. You had mentioned I think off the of air last week that
0: caladiums are going to be extremely hard oh, yeah. to find. Impossible.
3: I yeah. mean cuz they
0: were killed as far down in Florida. The bulbs were, that's right. Yeah.
2: And so that's why cuz there's just no supply now. Right, right. Even if you booked them, it doesn't mean they didn't Yeah, you
0: mean,
3: we booked caladium <laughs> yeah. bulbs a year ago. We got a shipment of spring bulbs in the other day, okay? Did not get one caladium bulb. Not one.
2: It's true then. Okay, let's... No. Why did I think that was 45 instead of 43? So all we're saying is, you
3: know, I mean, and and let me just say this real quick. I think overall, like I said Mm -hmm. before, I think we're going to be less disappointed with our shrubs than than they look. Than we think. Okay?
2: You have a camellia file on your site, right? Uh, Have you got one yet? I think there's one on there. Yeah. I'm I'm looking for one because... Yeah, I found it. Okay. Because we are going mm-hmm. to probably want to be replacing camellias for sure. And so I wanted to see which ones Jim's or gems are likes. And let me ask you
3: this, Jim, also. I mean, when people see or hear camellia, we know there's different varieties that are, I mean, there are tons of varieties. But as far as the families go, there's the mm-hmm. sasanquas and the Japonicas for the most part. Right.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, and I've always heard that the Sasanquas, which have a little smaller leaf and a smaller bloom, typically speaking, than the Japonicas, are more winter hardy. Or is there some...
0: Well, n- that's not quite as true now. I mean, you know, 25 years ago, that would be a very true statement. Sasanquas okay. were typically considered zone 7, a few zone 6, mm-hmm. uh, and Japonicas were just barely to seven. They were Mm -hmm. mostly eight plants. But now we have some that are... We have some japonicas, and most of them are hybrids that are zone six hardy. Uh, But this had nothing to do with the hardiness of the plant. This had to do with the fact that we had had warm weather. They had not been cued to harden off. And the flash freeze before Christmas just knocked the bejesus Mm. out of them. (laughs) Okay? So it's... this isn't so much about the plant as it was the unusual weather thing that has not happened before in my lifetime Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and i suspect won't happen again but i think we are we are becoming warmer we're going to have we're going to be able to grow more plants that were Twenty years ago, borderline hardy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, but if we get this sort of thing, and unfortunately, like with Indian Hawthorne, we had enough. Mm-hmm. We had this a couple of years ago. Um, y- there are some plants that are just going to be a little iffy. I got you. You know,
2: because um, we're good at planting iffy plants anyway. Yeah, we, we always have it. been. Yeah, you know, <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I always tried in my garden, tried to push the envelope mm-hmm. and plants and things. You know, I've got a loquat. Um uh, you know, it hasn't performed as well as I want, but it's mm-hmm. become in shade over the last 10 years. So it's kind of uh,
3: not flourished. And what did either you or Veda said, you know, where we are, we're too far north for our, some shrubs. And too far south for everything else. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, Uh I on your camellia file, so the way you'll find Jim's camellia file is uh, his uh, Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening Mm -hmm. USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8, and then you go to the files on top.
0: Right, there's a little tab there that has a number of things on it, but there's one of his files.
2: Yeah, and so when I am ordering all the camellias, I'm going to be checking your list out and ordering basically what's on there just, bec- just because, I mean, it's a great list and it's for this area. That's right. And, and, yeah. and
0: it typically I, <laughs> what I put on there were ones that are fairly reasonably easy to find that there yeah. were producers. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, uh, that hasn't been updated in 7 years or so yeah. so you know some of those may not be as easy to find now but there are some good standard ones like in japonicas white mm-hmm. by the gates just Love a it. spectacular one swan lakes another good mm-hmm. white um there there are a number of really good bob hope just a mm-hmm. spectacular <laughs> red Um, oh
2: yeah I like that one that is a great red
0: there's one Seafoam that's really Mm, outstanding and I still like uh, Pink Perfection and Mm -hmm. Debutante they're really old varieties they're spectacular blooms uh, and if you really get into them, there's some nurseries, like there's one over in North Carolina called CAM2, C-A-M-T-O-O, that does nothing but camellias oh. and related plants. And they do sell, I think, online where you mm-hmm. can, if you're looking for uh, some really unusual ones, uh, they're likely to have it. Uh, there, okay. There's one, my absolute favorite camellia, is it is one that was produced by Tom Sawada at Overlook Nursery mm-hmm. uh, called Sawada's Dream. Yeah, uh, It's a a uh, s- single like a dogwood bloom yeah but not open in the yeah. center um, and it, it it's white in the center and as you get further out it's pink it's not a Ooh, huge like bloom that. but it, to me it is the absolute perfection in flower shape and color mm.
2: all right so. well let's go to a break we can talk a little bit more about camellias and um, we'll be right back 9012605926 Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I think I'll see a little peak of sun about to peek out. Yeah. Yes. So I'm getting motivated for a... Faux, spring, Saturday, or so, should we say a light winter, a nice winter day. So a little chilly today? Yeah. Through the oh, day? Oh, yesterday was chilly. That yeah, wind, that wind came through. was crazy. And then, of
3: course, you know, the <laughs> rain before that. Yeah. Uh, so. And uh, I believe we got uh, Jamie Childers that's going to give mm-hmm. us a call about Seven o'clock. Alrighty. and kind of fill us in on what's going on. Uh, maybe at the Botanic Gardens today. Yeah.
2: I think. They oh, have is a this the presents? Yeah, today Yeah.
3: The so he'll give us a call presents. and kind of explain more uh, of what why we should be there. Mm. Um,
2: yeah. So that'll get you motivated to go around to the garden centers and and check everything out because you know we're we're we've got plenty to do in the garden center for you to take home and do in your yard oh, yeah. and not worry about mm-hmm. any. Uh, Issues of freezing or fertilizing at the wrong time or or what have you. Uh, Now's great for building beds. Come in and get your soils and work on building your beds and getting them ready. It's a good time to talk to the people that work in the garden center because they're not so, so busy with the spring, you know, so you can get a little bit of extra attention.
3: Yeah, and I talked to a lot of people this week about uh, pH, uh, whether, you know, putting lime down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this gentleman came in. He, he's taking care of his own lawn now that he used to have a lawn care company do. And, uh, you know, explaining him, you know, the pre emergence, the post emergence, the feeding, and then the pH. And when I got to pH, it, he gave me this kind of cross eyed look like, what, what are you talking yeah. about? And I said, Well, you know, the pH of your soil. Uh, And we, you know, typically want our Bermuda and Zoysias around 6.2 to 6.8. And he was still—that's when his eyes started spinning, actually. And he's like, I don't understand. You know, why are we talking about pH? And I said, well, because it makes a difference in your lawn. And, and for example, we all know that if you've got a Bermuda, Zoysia, or Fescue lawn here in Memphis, Tennessee, and if the pH is below, say, 6.2, okay— I don't care how much you feed your lawn. You're not going to get the full benefit of the fertilizer that you're putting down because mm-hmm. acidic soil locks up the nutrients. So many of the micronutrients are can vary in just a, a tenth of a point. It, I mean, it'll when it drops, it just stops. And, and, that's, <laughs> and, and that's amazing to me, Jim, the, the, yeah. the soil chemistry there. But, you know, if you – so I said, look, bring me some soil from your lawn – get it from three or four different places, put it in the same little baggie, I don't care, and I'll get, uh, put a meter in there and we'll see what the pH is. And sure enough, it was like 5.4, right you know? And, and if you think about it this way, seven is neutral. 6, which is acidic, is 10 times more acidic than seven. Five is a hundred times more acidic. So right. and it was at 54. So I was like, listen, this pH is too low. You need to just simply add some lime to raise this pH. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, even though there's even fast lime that works a lot faster than old-fashioned lime. I said, but we need to get this pH up, and I want to really get it up to 6.5. You know, that way when you put a fertilizer down, that soil can release all those nutrients. It's not locking anything up like you were just talking about, Jim. And it's, it's crazy how we can all do exactly all the right things as far as the watering, the feeding, the spraying, whatever, And always forget about the pH. Yeah,
2: this is true. And so if we were going to plant like camellias and hollies and things like that, you know, pH could be, would be something to check. Because you want it actually more acidic in those areas. Right, right. So how do you know until you test it? Even though we're a little more acidic than alkaline? it's still good to check it absolutely because it
0: can vary across the the county we see it vary you particularly in midtown uh, in the five and a half range and um, mm-hmm. we'll when we get out into areas where they've was farmland for a hundred years mm-hmm. we see it because it's been limed, it's see it up closer to six and a half. Mm. So you know, on, on azaleas, we want to get some acidic fertilizer on mm-hmm. those, or some aluminum sulfate to get that pH down. To and yeah. it, it does. They'll survive at six and a half, but they're not happy. You're you mm-hmm. don't get as good a color mm-hmm. uh, on both the foliage and the flowers. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's a lot happening or not happening if that pH is out of whack. Yeah. So it's important that we. For, for most all of the shrubs around here are going to be uh, successful at around five and a half. The exception would be boxwood. They need to be up at six and a half. Mm -hmm. Things that like six and a half, things like spirea, Mm -hmm. will survive at five and a half, and you probably won't notice a lot of difference. But they're going to be happier, they're going to be healthier uh, if you get that
3: pH up around six and a half or so. So that's just one thing that we, there again, that we just never think about is the pH, Mm -hmm. whether it's a vegetable bed or whether it's around a blueberry or whether it's our lawn. But it's something that we need to kind of, we need to know what the pH is.
2: Right. And then say plants that aren't in their proper pH are... More open up to stressful conditions. I mean, a lot of times that's Mm -hmm. why two plants, like one's in this yard, one's in another person's yard, and they're really almost exactly the same environment, but it's because the other could be lacking some things that it's not receiving because the pH is off.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, ahead, Jim. There's some plants like hydrangeas that tolerate a huge range. (laughs) Okay. They'll grow just perfect. At six and a half, though, you're going to have pink flowers. Right. If you get it at five and a half, you're going to have blue flowers. (laughs) You get it down around five and a little below, and Mm -hmm. they're going to be deep, deep, dark blue. I mean, to me, hydrangeas are like the
2: litmus
3: paper, you know?
2: Below five is the deep, dark blue? That's right.
3: It'll be dark.
2: Gosh, how many times, how much lime, I mean, uh, sulfate, sulfur, I can't say it, do I use?
0: That's key right there, is Mm -hmm. you need to know your starting pH to know how to get it down the bags of lime or bags of aluminum sulfate whatever you're using to adjust it there's a certain amount per 1000 square feet that That's you're right. going to need to apply to get your results the guys lawn you're talking right. about normally we would tell people you know a 50 pound bag of pelletized lime will raise your ph about half a point per thousand square feet right right so he's going to need two per thousand square feet exactly to raise it a point that's right so he's going to need more and it takes the same amount if you're going from five to six as it does from five and a half to six and a half okay that's the kind of cool thing about it but it's important that you know you're starting to be able to adjust it. so he should have been a
4: math
2: right. teacher. It sounds hard maybe to you, kind of did to me, but it's not hard at all. We'll be right back to tell you more about gardening.
4: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on
0: the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
2: Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We're in our second hour. There's so many ways y'all can listen to us. You can, of course, you're listening now. You can catch us on podcast, uh, Facebook Live right now, or you can stream. And if you want to communicate any time of the week, you can do it by the Facebook page that Jim answers and takes care of the the um, questions and all, which is Mid-South Gardenings in USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8.
3: Jim, any um, unusual, I shouldn't even say unusual, uh, you know, because you look at the your Facebook page, I guess, every day. Many times a day. Yeah, and people mm-hmm. are uh, sending in questions and, of course, a lot of pictures, you know, that people send in. Uh, and I still guess that most of the, uh, I guess, the thrust of the information is still about the the damage yeah. that, that occurred during mm-hmm. the flash freeze that yeah. we had. And
0: we're, and we're getting lots of pictures of people showing where, you know, hydrangeas are beginning to sprout at the ground. Um, candy corn spirea, there was mm, a picture I this week that. where it's flushing nasty. right at the tips. Amazing. Yeah. You know, so it's it's beginning to start. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of pictures of people that are um, happy that we're seeing some live growth out of some of Yeah, like, like
2: they showed the dandinas mm. and the soft. Caress right. Mahonio uh-huh. just coming just out of the ground. Just sprouting
0: bottom. at the ground. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, which means the top is dead, which we suspected. Right. So,
3: uh, I mean, Nandina, think about it.
2: Yeah. I, know. <laughs> uh, Nan, I mean, they're Nandina.
3: indestructible. But the good thing is, I mean, even if they get burned back halfway down or even to the ground, they're going to come mm-hmm. back from that root system and they grow pretty darn fast too. Right. So,
2: you know, I was thinking of Nandina and Azaleas. Every single. Memory picture that I have we have taken, like at grandparents or parents, or all there's always going to be a rose in the picture or a camellia in the picture, and especially a rose, yeah, and Nandina. Mm-hmm. There's oh, yeah. always, you know, there's always one because you know, you could back then you'd stand by a plant that was pretty. It was like there was this token azalea that there's like every cousin and sister and brother that I have, you have a picture of them in front of the azalea, so. Nandinas and azaleas, they're just a staple in our Isn't southern Isn't that crazy? Garden.
3: Because every time I mention the word Nandina to a customer, I almost get a big old yeah. slap, you know?
2: A <laughs> big because old slap.
4: Because
3: they're thinking of the old-fashioned Nandinas that we grew up with. You they know, have
2: the, the beautiful berries on yeah, them. You're right. I <laughs> mean,
3: but the Nandina domestica you know, they get six foot <laughs> tall, five foot wide. I mean, it looks like a miniature bamboo, you know? Yeah. And that's just in our mind. That's what we're thinking of. But there are so many beautiful. I'm telling you, hybrid nandinas on the market now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it's the uh, you know the lemon lime, lemon lime, the blush. blush, Yeah. Uh, There's just I'm telling you, they they look great. And we're we're talking about a nandina.
0: Yeah, and there's so many of them now that don't produce berries. You see, particularly a lot of articles. From uh, bird lovers that say don't plant mm-hmm. nandinas because it'll kill your bird. Uh-huh. Well, that's not totally true. Mm-hmm. Okay, if they're, they're kind of like apple seeds, if you eat enough of them, you get enough strychnine, strychnine or cyanide forming in your gut to mm-hmm. kill them. Okay, but there are very few birds that feed like that. Just gobble um, them, I mean, as many as that, they can eat. That will gorge themselves. Yeah. Cedar waxwings are one. So having a single nandina in your yard or a couple, you're producing it? some food for birds. I mean, right. and they'll eat them. Um, but I would not plant a, a, ro- a 50-foot row right. of them because that's going to draw birds in. Um, mm-hmm.
3: But if you're going to do, if you want that, get one that doesn't produce berries. Well, and I agree with what you're saying, absolutely. But I, I do like the fact that there are some really good-looking Nandinas out there. But it's just funny when you mention, even I've seen them in containers, these new mm-hmm. hybrids, and they yeah, look
2: they great. Look. They, look they look good in mixed containers. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I love the um, Nandinas with blue Pacific juniper, juniper trailing over and then adding like a color in there, some pansies, or or now it's going <sighs> to be petunias. So uh, Nandina's are fantastic. The, the small ones are, do y'all have good success ever seeing them just grow in flat out sun? Or would you recommend it having some uh, some well, rest period in the shade?
3: I've seen, you know, I've seen like the Harbor Dwarf in, in, in full baking sun. Um, you know, well, well-drained soil and, you know, moist soil but well-drained mm-hmm. soil. A- and they never get a burn on them, yeah. ever. You yeah, know?
2: mostly it's I think they get too dry and then that's when they start freaking out. Like anything else. But you know, Lantana can get too dry, but it'll still look fine. But I see when the Nandinas are in that full sun and get too dry, they they just they they, they grow slimmer. Well they but, don't seem to have the color as good. But think
3: about this also, Jim and Veda. <laughs> and when I say when we were growing up, you know, mm-hmm. when we were growing up, I mean there <laughs> say for example, hydrangeas. I mean, there might have been a couple hydrangeas to choose from. Nandinas, there might have been a couple Nandinas to choose from, right? So your selections were just easy because that's, mm-hmm. that's what you had. But now if you think about it and look at shrubs, there are so many varieties of the mm-hmm. same shrub on the market now. You know, uh, I mean, hydrangeas, for example. I mean, look I how know. many different hydrangeas you you've got to choose yeah. from. I the was when when I was out there at sixty four, we have sometimes fifty varieties. That's my point, Jim. Even yeah. you know, nandinas, where we're talking about, yeah. there's so many different varieties of nandinas. These new hybrids, boxwoods, you know, there's so many new hybrids out there, euonymus, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, anything that you look at or choose now, there are so many different choices. So. You know, when I said I always want to get slapped when I mentioned the word Nandina, I I get it. I understand why. Uh, But there's...
2: Just look at it differently now. right? Right. Because when you do recommend, oh, we could use Nandinas. No. Don't want Nandinas. Because we're thinking of the old Nandina we grew up with. Uh, True. Um, And here's something that was like, oh, you mean they're figuring it out. But since there's like, quote, a peat shortage... And growers are having trouble getting peat. And, just, and vermiculite, yeah. by the way. So they've decided to start mixing in like pine fines, um, pine tree substrate,
3: forest products, forest
2: products, <laughs> and they're real. They're seeing that they're getting better growth out of using all this natural stuff instead of straight peat. Well, so in a way, the I mean, you still have to have peat in some situations. I think. Maybe not have to, but well, peat still fine. baskets
0: and, and, you know... They dry out really fast, yeah. right? High, um Herbaceous plants, mm-hmm. impatiens and things like that in a basket. I think you pretty much have to have some sphagnum peat or or something similar, cocoa fiber or something for like that. For the lightness. For the lightness of it, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, yes that's
2: so true.
0: I have, for years, 40 years or so... Try to steer people away from sphagnum peat, using mm-hmm. it when uh, they're planting. And, 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 new yeah. shrubs. and let me, can mm-hmm.
3: I say this before before you say another word? <laughs> you remember there again when we were growing up that any time that we dug a hole and planted anything, any tree, any shrub, any perennial, I mean, the first thing we had beside us was a big old bell of peat moss. That's right. Okay, and we yeah. were dumping that stuff in there. I guess mm-hmm. working it in with our soil, but. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> right. So but tell me why not. you would say that's probably not the best way to go. Well,
0: first of all, I, I learn a lot from nature. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you see where they harvest sphagnum peat, there are pine trees and there's sphagnum peat. There's nothing growing under them mm-hmm. other than sphagnum peat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of tells me, you know, why do we not have a more diverse. Biome in that area uh so that was the first thing and then many many years ago um the president of the national azalea society came to memphis um he and i got together because i had worked in miss murrah's garden azalea garden out on uh, poplar avenue miss murrah was had a close relationship with um uh Mr. Morrison, who hybridized so many Azaleas. Okay. So uh, she was a big
3: Azalea lover. She was.
0: Mm-hmm. He worked at, in Maryland at the USDA for many years and retired to I think somewhere down in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. But they maintained a lot and they were looking for 14 of his missing hybrids. So when the Azaleas were in bloom, he came to Memphis and we walked around the garden and toured and he took pictures and samples and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but one of the things he said to me was, we believe that it inhibits the growth of anything that's related to Isaiah's rhododendrons and things like that. I mean, think about what you just... mm -hmm. Because you remember years ago, and and I don't know if it seems still available, there was no damp off, which Mm -hmm. was a seed starting mix that you could put seed in, and fungus wouldn't grow on it because it had a natural fungicide in the sphagnum, (laughs) which... he believed, and and I, you know, I think so too. It inhibits the growth of the necessary fungus around the roots of right. these plants. Right. So, exactly. so
3: you're d- saying so you that as much peat as we used to use, and we mm-hmm. used it for everything. Remember, many years ago, that if you actually use peat as a soil amendment around azaleas, it's probably even more detrimental right. than helpful. Yeah. Yeah,
2: because we started, you know, preaching like. Uh, This is why we use organic products, or not organic, but good compost. This is why you should use good compost, and it's been proven that if you use a lot of natural things, you water less, you fertilize less, and it's all because of setting up that biome in the soil, like you were talking about, and now we have to go to a break. So let's take the break, and then we'll come back and talk more about soils and and what you should use when planting. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. We've had a good time talking about soils and camellias and on and on. But first, before we get back to our soil, let's go to Jamie, the Master Gardener. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden.
3: Good morning. Hey, Jamie. You know what I love about Jamie? (laughs) Like what you just said, Veda, it's not just Jamie anymore. It's Jamie, the Master Gardener. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so that's your name from now on, yeah. Jamie, is Jamie the Master Gardener
7: Oh, y'all are tacky, you know it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I could have been called a hell of a lot worse but.
2: Right, so this isn't so bad
7: <laughs> What's going on today, buddy? Um, well, I'm telling you, it must be spring It ain't too far away because I'm at the Botanic Garden So uh, and we're putting on the Memphis Area Master Gardener And Botanic Garden Presents and uh, we've missed the last couple of years because of bad weather and the COVID. But anyway, we got a great lineup today, and that's a good way to start the spring with uh, Dr. Kelly uh-huh. and, uh Kelly and Dr. Car- uh, Carol Reeves. And so anyway, they'll be speakers, and they'll start at 9 o'clock. And so anyway, we're looking, looking forward to hearing them. And uh, I've heard both the ladies, and they are really, really top-notch people. And uh, they know their stuff, and they're really funny while they're doing their presentation.
3: And, Jamie, you said this is at the Memphis Botanic Gardens. You said it starts at 9 o'clock. So, I mean, do y'all have enough people? If 100 people show up, y'all have enough chairs for 100 people?
7: Oh, we can handle 100, maybe
3: two. Okay. Don't
7: get more than five.
3: Okay. All right, so you got enough room for anybody and everybody that wants to show up at 9 o'clock. And you said you had the two speakers, and is there anything in particular that they're speaking on today, or are we just getting ready for spring?
7: We're well, getting ready for spring, basically, and uh, they're real funny speakers. And uh, uh, gardening, uh, gardening in the ever-changing world, of mm-hmm. the uh, ever-changing environment, excuse mm-hmm. me. And so, and that's what we that's what we're dealing with right now is unchanging. Uh, ever-changing environment. Yeah, um,
2: we sure are. There's a lot of different avenues to take now and thoughts to so, process before we start planting. And
3: that's 9 o'clock now. if you're a botanical member, the door uh, is only, what, $10 to get in? If you're not a member, it's only $15. Is that correct? Yes,
7: that's, that's correct. If you're a member of the, of the Botanic Garden right. uh, membership, then
3: you you're $10. Yes, sir. And then
7: the master gardeners with the badge, yes, sir. you know, they get in for $10. Yes, All, Everybody else must pay general, uh, $15 a general admission.
3: Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I mean, this is the, like you said, J- Jamie, this is almost like the kickoff to spring. And to me, knowledge is, is power. Knowledge is, inf- information is everything that we need. And if you want to get some good information this morning, then head on over to the Memphis Botanic Gardens Make sure you get there by 9 o'clock. Uh, and like you said, Jamie, listen to these two wonderful spokespeople. And this thing goes from, what, what, like 9 to 12?
7: That's correct.
3: All right, Jamie. Well, hopefully we'll see you over there, buddy, and I hope you're front and center.
7: Well, look, we're, we're coffee's brewing as we speak. We're, <laughs> already, we're already here, so...
2: And and,
7: so okay, come on look, down. <laughs> one, one, one other thing, too, now. They've got a new wrinkle to this thing. We're trying to help the Memphis Food Bank. And uh, if you bring two, correction, five non-perishable food items, mm-hmm. uh, you, get a, you, you when you come in the door, you get a ticket for a special prize that they're drawing for.
3: That's awesome. So, so I can get five cans of really anything and bring them by. And all of this is all for the good. it, it this helps fill up the food bank again.
7: That's correct. So and uh, that they're going to have a real nice prize for the you know you get a special ticket when you come in if you bring the food items. So we're trying to help the food bank and, and doing all we can. so
3: Well, that's awesome, Jamie. We appreciate you keeping us informed. Jamie, hopefully we'll see you there this morning and we'll be bringing our sacks of canned uh, veggies also.
7: Thank you, sir. Y'all yeah. have a great
2: day. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for the call. That's a great idea because the food banks, I do know, need to be refilled sooner than later. So that's a good way to do it. Um, so we were talking about the soils and all. Um mixing different things instead of just peat and growers are starting to do that more and we do talk about how you can tell on the on the shelves when we're trying to water and take care of plants you can have comb flour from this grower and comb flour for grower number two and even comb flour from grower number three right. and each one soils are different this one you have to water twice a day and this one you can skip a day In watering based on the soil but it, it is the one that have the most organic matter are the ones that we can go longer without watering. However, if you don't know your plant and you get too much organic matter, then it'll rot in the container because it's not draining fast enough. So there there's so many variables and that's something that you do need to look for. That's why a lot of times we recommend taking a lot of the soil off around the root system if it's all peat. Mm. So it can immediately start getting some of the good organic or some of the good compost around it to root out faster.
3: Well, and I agree. And and, you know, we were talking about peat moss a while ago. I'm not giving peat moss a bad name. There's still room for peat moss. In fact, most of the soils that we buy still have some peat in it. Mm-hmm. But that's the beauty. Two things. One is when you buy a bagged soil, a good high quality bagged soil, whether it's a garden soil or a potting soil, it's a blended soil. It's already blended for you. You know, so it takes all the the guesswork out of how much and what do I need to add to my soil. Okay. Uh, but also, Veda, if a lot of these just extremely heavy peat based anything. You remember, peat moss holds about ten times its weight in water. East. At least. At <laughs> least. But if you ever, Jim, invade if you ever let peat completely dry out, it was almost impossible to rehydrate, right.
2: remember that. Yeah, see, I used that in the garden talk. I let a plant dry out really good, and then I apply applied lots and lots and lots of water. I get and it? I said, do y'all think it's going to be? They go, there's no way that thing's dry. Pulled it apart in the middle and just dry as could be in the middle. But and also I watered, watered, watered.
3: But also, people also might get the wrong idea. Yes, we in our in our area here we have a heavy clay soil, which Jim always says, "Thank goodness." Right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> and a lot of times he has to explain that stuff to me. Right, <laughs> but we, when we're when we're amending our soil to plant, not a not a container. I get mm-hmm. that. You know, we can buy potting soil, good potting soil for our containers, and don't have to add anything to it. But when we're when we're trying to amend our soil to plant trees and shrubs and perennials, like Betty was talking about, we're not. Replacing our native soil, we are amending our. Can I use the word amending? Yeah, you can use that. Because Jim got on to me last time. We we're amending yeah. our clay soil uh, mm-hmm. with the soil uh, amendments, but we're not replacing the clay, and that's
2: really important to remember. And then when we're building beds up, I like to use a soil that's got a little bit of topsoil in it because, like, we, you need the clay. So if we mix a raised bed and everything drains really fast, your nutrients and your water is going to drain out too fast. So in raised beds, it's good to use something that may have just some topsoil in it.
3: And what do you all think, Jim and Veda, about a – let's say a raised bed, for example. You know, people go in their backyard, they have someone build these raised beds if they don't build them themselves – and then they fill them up with soil, okay? And whether you're buying bagged soil, garden soil to fill these beds up with, or whether you're buying the bulk soil from a mulch yard or whatever, and then coming back and amending that soil with some compost, you hear people say, well, the soil's got to percolate for a year or two before you really get good results from it.
2: You know, what does that mean? I mean, is that, first of all, is that a
3: true statement?
2: Yeah, because the soils that we used to use— would take longer to put that soil web to action. Mm -hmm. It'd take longer for that soil web to build. Or even a lot of times we'd put stuff on there that would be too hot and it would take a while for that to calm down. So you would want to wait. But now with our good soils and our more knowledge, you can plant more immediately. Well, and plus you can
3: also get good results even that first year that you plant in those soils.
0: It needs to you're going to find that as it ages a couple of years, you're going to get better results. This is it. true. That's what I mean. yeah. Because yeah. These, right. these particles are going to break down. You know, when, when we tell people to plant shrubs, typically I tell them not to add more than about 25% new stuff. Okay. What we're doing is we're breaking up the soil, creating pathways for the roots to get out of that root ball. In three years that's going to be virtually gone it's mm-hmm. going to, your soul's going to be back to the, the, the amount original. of organic matter that you had <clears throat> but you've given it several years to get established and that's kind of the key yeah, typically our soul runs 1 to 3% organic matter if, that's pretty low, though, in it, Jim. It, it, but it's okay. okay. If you start getting upwards of eight to ten percent, you'll have difficulty with your plants. There's too much organic. Isn't that amazing? Matter you would think more yeah. would be better, right? Now, when we're talking <laughs> about adding twenty five percent, a lot of that's very coarse, and it's really not. Although it's organic, it's not broken down to to where it's. Uh, doing much good as far as nutrient retention gotcha. and water retention. Got it. Uh so it's it needs to it really needs to age a couple of years before you're going to get your best results. Right. Now it can also get too heavy over the course of years. Your particles get too small. If you notice in, in container plants, you end up every year, lo- lo- looks like losing some soil because mm-hmm. it's continuing to break down into smaller and smaller particles. So you need to go in there and loosen it, fluff it up, add some new stuff, take out say 50% of the old soil, mm-hmm. put 50% in, and make it coarser again so you get the benefit of gravity pulling water out of it, keeping your drainage better. So you know, it's, um, and then we're going to talk about fertilizer when we come back. We had a question about how much do you use? Well, that's
2: kind of critical. Right, okay. right. And more about soil. We'll be right back after these messages. gardeners and welcome back to mid-south garden glad you can join us this morning give us a call 901-260-5926 you can watch us on facebook live and post questions there
3: yes you can yeah. and go to the money 990 facebook page um uh, money 990
2: so um we were talking about the master gardeners well real quick the master gardeners presents that's going on today but there's so many things coming up yeah to do just you know, it's spring. It's happening. You know, there's going to be the uh, walk through the garden gates, the Cooper Young Garden Walk, Bartlett mm-hmm. Libraries doing things, garden centers are, you know, kind of starting to get some little things going. So it's not time to plant your summer annuals or even your spring annuals, but we can do everything else. Really, I mean, we still have to be calm on the pruning. We don't want to prune things down too far and all, but it's time, really. I mean, to you get out there doing a and little. cut
3: the monkey grass back and the mondo mm-hmm. grass that was burned. Uh, You know, you can get out there and cut maybe some hydrangeas back, Jim. Yeah. Uh, You know? You uh, know, I I checked. I found a couple of green stems on on my um,
0: hydrangeas this week, but all the buds up and down the stem are dead. Yeah.
3: So, you know, they're not going to do anything. And what about the paniculatas, the limelights and all that? They look fine. And would you go ahead, if you want to cut them back, go ahead and get those cut back now? Absolutely. And then what about roses and uh, crepe myrtles? Yeah. Well... Roses, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, And I think you could do great myrtles, but, you know, I'm still curious as to whether or not we're going to see some some sun scald on those. Um, Let's hope not. Those and Japanese maples and, you know, dogwoods, Mm. red buds particularly if they're young and haven't gotten woody trunks. Or oh, the thin-skinned. Yeah. Yeah,
2: because yeah, this kind of being our rose season, too, bare-root roses come in or right. it's a good time to plant roses. I would go out and prune and clean up the roses, maybe spray with an oil spray, add some organic products, just get them fluffed and clean. All,
0: all of my miniature roses are killed back near the uh-huh. graft, but they're all sprouting. Oh, I mean, okay. they've got new leaves on them. So, um, you know, they're they're root-hardy, so... The
2: miniatures, okay. Yeah, now
0: if they're a grafted rose, yeah, you may not. If this keel below the graft, it's going to be just rootstock coming up. It's going to be multiflora rootstock, which isn't, you know, something you want to keep. But if it's on its own root, then I think probably you're going to see them come back.
2: So that's mostly like antique roses? Well, you know, Um, so many of the ones now,
0: even like knockouts, are grown on old root when they used to be all grafted. Uh, So a lot of the roses uh, I know that Dan West gets are grown on root, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, they, I'm going to say they don't typically have the vigor of a grafted rose, Mm -hmm. but they still produce nice plants. Right. So. um,
2: And that's kind of just what we're wanting. It's just a nice plant. The rootstock's
0: what really makes the difference. You know, like when, when you have fruit trees, you have standards, you have semi-dwarfs and you have dwarfs. Well, the top is the same plant. It's the rootstock that's grafted on it that controls how well it grows. That just blows my mind. mind. Me too. (laughs) And and there are a world of, you know, when a a grower gets ready to buy, there are a world of rootstocks for him to
3: choose from. And And that's why most roses, I mean, a lot of roses still are being grafted because they'll Mm -hmm. take the rose, this beautiful rose, and they'll grafted on this great rootstock, yeah, right? Strong, so you're getting the best erusa. of both worlds. Yeah. So. so many of the, like the yellows, the
0: lavenders are not strong plants to begin with. Mm. So uh, it, you, they do best when they're grafted onto a hardier rootstock. You get a better plant.
2: Yeah. So like uh, some of the ones we're familiar with, like Just Joey and Joseph's Coat,
0: and Sterling Silver, Celebr- uh, Angel Face. Are they? Those on? are the lavenders. Yeah, those are lavenders. Those are all. They're good plants. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you tried to grow one from a cutting, you'd be really disappointed. Yeah.
2: Well, So are they grafted on a root stock? Uh, they're yeah. grafted
0: onto a multiflora root stock. Right. Um, you know,
2: let's we were, see. We yeah. Were, oh, go ahead. We were
3: talking about, you know, soil amendments right, a while ago. Right. But also, Jim wanted to say something about... Fertilizer. Fertilizer. Yeah. And, and there again, when 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 you say the word fertilizer, which mm-hmm. is food, uh, it, it seems very simple enough, right? And... But it can be a little complex. Yeah,
2: we're going to have to start talking about how we're referring to it. Yeah, we
0: we had somebody ask, how much fertilizer Mm -hmm. do I use? Well, read the label. That's going to tell you how much you use. Most plants are going to want about a pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet. And the nitrogen is always,
3: what, the first First number? First number,
0: Right. So it's if you buy a 50-pound bag of 6-12-12, right. it's going to do like 3,000 square feet. If you buy a – How would you know that? 2-4-1, we'll, read we'll the tell label. you that. <laughs> uh, if you buy something that's got two pounds, it's only going to cover a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. So if, if the weight has nothing to do with it. It's that first number, the nitrogen, that's going to tell you how much it'll cover. And the easy way to find out is take the first number, multiply it times the weight of the bag, and add a zero on the right. So, so if you had
3: 6, 12,
0: 12. Take 6, multiply it by, say, 50 pounds. 50 pounds is 300, right. and add a 0 on the right, and it's 3,000 square feet. Works with all so, fertilizer, and whether it's miracle Grow, uh, in a water-soluble, it'll tell you how much nitrogen you should be applying per 1,000 square feet.
3: And the label's going to tell you, well, for the most part, unless it's just a commercial bag. That, right. It's you know,
0: going to tell you, use 2 pounds per 1,000 right. or 2 pounds per 100 or whatever the rate is. So you have to know your fertilizer fertilizer to determine how much work you're going to put
3: down and then what about the the different types of nitrogen that are in these fertilizers because let's say for example you mentioned six, twelve, twelve. Yes. you know just an old field for, grade commercial grade commercial fertilizer, grade fertilizer. Yeah. well we know that six percent nitrogen that's in there is a monocle nitrate okay it's it's a very quick fast release nitrogen but all of these really good fertilizers when i say good i'm not saying six twelve twelve is not but they're in my opinion some that are much better you buy some of these let's say nursery special or grower special, which is a 12 right. 6 okay? It's got 12% nitrogen, but the nitrogen that's in there is not the same nitrogen that you find in, say, triple 13. No, it's got a little bit of ammoniacal nitrogen to give you
0: what you're looking for. The quick A quick, a quick growth. growth off of it, but most of it is long-term feed, and that's that's critical. And, you know, it tells you then how much you need to feed over a certain period of time. Um, most of it's going to break down over 60 to 90 days, uh, sometimes longer. If you're using something like Osmocote, it may go, there are some even eight to nine months. I even some that go two years. But, you know, I use a lot of Agriform tablets in my water plants and also around some of my perennials. uh, And they last about two years in the ground. Wow. So it's...
3: uh, And then, Veda, you know that if you buy a bag of organic fertilizer, Mm -hmm. let's say, you know, plant tone, for example, and you look at the analysis as far as the NPK, the nitrogen phosphate potassium, it might be like a 644. And people are like, well, hang on, this doesn't have any fertilizer in it.
2: Right, right. And we're really just enhancing the soil or putting the nutrients in the soil and let the plant take it. Plus, a lot of times organic products are always a lower percentage. They're going to be. Yeah, because that's what it gets over time. That's not what it's getting immediately yeah, because that's why it's lower, the number's lower. Yeah, and
4: and
3: it always will be. You're not going to find a 38% nitrogen in an organic product, okay, like you can in some of these synthetic products. Because we're
2: not fertilizing with the nitrogen. We're just adding to the soil for later. So don't
3: scratch your head and go, well, man, this has no fertilizer in it when you're looking at organic products because they're always going to have a much lower NPK than the Mm -hmm. man-made synthetic fertilizers. But I'm not saying... The man-made synthetic fertilizers, the ones that Jim was talking about, you can get some really good, high-quality fertilizer that's going to give you a little bit of that quick release, but it's Mm -hmm. also going to give you that slow-release, you know, um, coated nitrate, if you will, and they're really good products. Now, the big difference with me is the organic products that that, that Veda likes to really talk about You're also, when you put that product down, you're actually feeding the soil, okay? The soil will break that product down and use it as it needs it. So it's not going to be a quick release like it can be on some of these other fertilizers. So either way, you know, as long as you're getting a good, high-quality fertilizer or a really good organic fertilizer, some of the best food sources, in fact, it is the food source Mm -hmm. that you're putting out there for these plants to feed on.
2: Yeah, a lot of people don't fertilize as much as they should. I, get, I hear Some that. People don't especially feed at all. a lot yeah, on houseplants and orchids and African vines. Roses <laughs> is one
0: that's really people, you know, they should be fed monthly from yeah. March through September or so. They're extremely heavy feeders. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get really spectacular roses, regardless of what they are, you need to feed them quite
3: often. Yeah. I had a texter uh, on the Mighty990 Facebook page, uh, Ricky. Chambers said, we never plant before April 15th. Last few years, we had a frost before then.
2: Like annuals and things. Yeah, yeah. Ricky's
3: exactly right. I mean, typically around here, the frost date is April the 15th. And if you put anything tender outside in the ground or in a pot uh, before then, you're taking a chance, a risk. Yeah, and the ground is still cold
0: normally, okay, (laughs) up until about then. So even if you... Uh, it can cover it and protect it with a frost. Your plant's still not really growing quickly because the microbes can't break down yeah, the nitrogen. It's just that easy. You yeah. know, plants can only eat nitrites and nitrates. I mean, that's all that's they it. do. So, in <laughs> it, they can't. That's the reason they can't absorb organic nitrogen because the molecule is much too large. Until it's been until it's been broken, it down. has to be broken down. And, and if the bacteria and stuff's not working, if it's mm-hmm. still ground temperature, still cool, it don't matter if you fertilize them or not. And, uh, and anything that's got ammoniacal nitrogen in it is not going to be available in cold mm-hmm. ground. Mm-hmm. Now, nitrate nitrogen is available in cold ground, so you can like use nitrate of soda on and your it's work And that day. Yeah. That's right. And it's that's why we're grow. careful with using yes, the, the type nitrogen of fertilizers
2: before the azaleas bloom, because we don't want to force it because that acts faster, no yeah. matter what the temperature and is. But we have to go to a break. Sorry. Well, we will be right back after this message. <laughs> 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 Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. I do see the sunshine out there. It's going to be a little warm today. I'm feeling a little energetic to be working in the yard. Check out the garden centers. There is stuff to do. Oh, there yeah. is, and we were going to continue. Oh, you were going to comment on our Facebook post. I think. Yeah, that, yeah.
3: you know when Ricky uh, Chambers texted in, we said we never plant before April fifteenth, and Ricky's, you know, in a sense, he's absolutely right. I mean, I can't remember. A year that has gone by where we haven't had a clean frost even after, after April fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, frost April on 17th, the windshield that yeah. you're scraping yeah. off around even the nineteenth to some extent. Because
2: I mean, we get annuals in like oh, around right before yeah into March. Right, but how many times are we having to put them back up? Oh, uh, we
3: pull them back inside. I mean, the if you don't center? do that,
0: something you know, just terribly yeah. wrong. And then <laughs>
2: then, then right something t- and then. <laughs> We all say I hear you say <laughs> that why are you getting these annuals in when it's not time to plant them well now the industry's div- driven by our box stores that just get plants in That's just right. because so because you
0: know plant. if you walk in and don't have them they're
3: going to go
2: someplace yeah. else right we don't want you to go somewhere else we have other things besides annuals too but we have to have the annuals so you don't think that well, we but don't also know what we people,
3: <laughs> people are having functions and and, and they'll still plant it annuals that, in their yeah. containers or whatever oh, right. mm-hmm. and, but we always tell them you know just hey be careful planting these tender annuals before april 15th but we have no trouble selling them twice
2: yeah yeah so so we'll do that like maybe don't plant your (laughs) vinca but we're kind of okay with like some of the petunias and the million bells and dianthus uh there's still new pansies and violas available you know just for some quick color but we're not don't do your whole thing we're not doing caladiums but and um
3: and Vinka, like yeah. you said, we're not doing these huge beds of annuals on yeah. April the 1st.
2: But are you going to do a container because the soil will be warm? You can move the container in yeah. if you need and to. And if it
3: dies, so. I mean, you had you had them out there that were, looked great for people that were coming over that mm. night for a function, whatever. But you're right. The, forest, the frost date is around April 15th. But also, when Ricky said we don't plant anything until April 15th, he is right, what I mean in a sense. You don't want to plant anything annual or tender tender right. out there before, you know, the 15th. Now, trees and shrubs, perennials, uh, you know, vegetables, vegetables I mean, cool-weather yeah. vegetables it. even mm-hmm. now. So just yeah, keep that in mind. April 15th is the the frost date.
2: Yeah. April fifteenth, yeah. April seventeenth. What's the latest we've had? Has it was it April seventeenth? No, Is it was there one? It's in
0: May, and that's what I was looking. Oh, right now. can
2: you believe May? You just you, that's just something that's going to happen. Just like the flash freeze, that's just something that's going to happen. Don't even put that in your planning plans for planting because it's just a bizarre anomaly.
3: Yeah, and know? then you know people. You know we're talking about. Let's just start with vegetables. Uh, you know, the a, a average just backyard plot, you know, in your backyard, you know, we're adding compost to it every year, adding a little lime to keep the pH up and surely adding some fertilizer, whether it's synthetic or organic. But if you plant a tomato or something else in that vegetable plot, uh, those soil temperatures this time of year are still going to be cool. Even around April 15th, it can still be cool, where a lot of times if you plant them in that, that same plant in a raised bed, yeah, it's just the bed, the, the soil is elevated a lot of times those soil temperatures are much warmer Mm -hmm. earlier than they are in a garden plot in your backyard. Um,
2: Think about this. It's like a raised bed is great because it can heat up sooner, but then a lot of times a raised bed uh, could be bad because it could freeze deeper right? <laughs> because it's raised and doesn't have all the surrounding soil but a big raised bed is. oh so you're far fine and doubt.
3: this time of year i mean in fact, we just got another shipment in yesterday they have cool weather vegetables you know your broccoli cabbage you know cauliflower yeah. lettuce those kind of things and those are cool weather plants you can get those in the ground today if you want
2: yeah do we go ahead Jim. our
0: latest frost was may 4th 2013
2: that was 2013
0: yeah Mm-hmm.
2: Where where was I? I was here, but I do not remember the that. The
0: earliest last frost was February 21st in 1905.
2: Wow. Mm. See, climate change <clears> happens <throat> every year. It just depends on the year. Because, <laughs> I mean, look at all the, that, that randomness of that.
3: May. That is unbelievable.
2: Yeah. May 4th. And that was 2013. Yeah. I was reading an article was, like, this week wow. about
0: <laughs> global warming and, and what they thought, you know, if you look back about 6,000 years, the the um, programs that they run to look <laughs> at the past uh-huh. said that 5,000 years ago the earth was much cooler. Right. But the, it doesn't prove that when you look at core samples in carbon-21 dating. It's that we were warmer then, and we went through a cooling period from about 5,000 years ago until the early 1800s okay and then we started to warm again and that's basically the industrial revolution has <clears throat> generated a lot of that heat uh so i mean but technically we have been going through a warming phase phase since we came out of the last ice age mm-hmm. you know cuz there was ice down not far north of here yeah right <laughs> mm-hmm. you know so it's We're just... It's going... We are warming up. Global warming is happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's uh, not much you can do to stop it.
2: All we can do is just become... Keep becoming educated... Changing some of the things that we do, um, because you know a lot of things we just didn't realize was going to have that impact. So we don't need to panic. We just need to, right. just, you know, take different choices. No, in, in a
3: gardener's point of view, uh, as far as the warming, you know, trend temperatures, uh, you know, if you there again, if you even look at a a zone map, mm-hmm. uh, the spot of Memphis, you know, some of them we got it classified as zone eight, and really all that means is. Uh, you know there are plants that we grow here or try to grow here now that we never used to try to grow here right. that actually will make it through our winters, right? right? Mm-hmm.
2: And we've and we're going through. <clears throat> first, we've done years and years and so many years of landscaping, real more ornamental and exotic. We could say exotic plants, but you know, borderline native plants, or so, or we or we've gotten sterile envi- environments going. But our industry is slowly changing over to gardens that (laughs) attract multiple wildlife and beneficial insects and things that can... That can help our environment because everybody's yard used to only have five kinds of mm-hmm. varieties in mm-hmm. it, and and no five trees. Five hollies,
3: and you know maybe a couple of the euonymus out there. Right, beta.
2: right. So you know, there's like the trifecta: the uh, habitat destruction, the pesticide use, and the mm-hmm. climate change. And I don't mean pesticide use in a negative. Mm-hmm. I just mean we're having to learn more about it in terms of like we would use a whole lot instead of follow the labels. So all this <laughs> stuff has has been happening, but. We, we need to do things for the future, like creating the habitat for wildlife and reduce the erosion and improve the soil and mitigate the mm-hmm. flooding and, and improve the sequestration of, of carbon, filter water. You know, all this stuff mm-hmm. is something that <clears throat> us gardeners have to take on responsibility for is to keep. Keep our gardens and everything flowing so we don't lose what's what's happening in, in our environment.
3: Oh, there's no doubt. And I also think that as, as far as a lot of the products that we use, especially when it comes to, say, insecticides, for example. Uh, you know, growing up, I mean, there was always, you know, this Liquid 7 and, mm-hmm. and the Dazanons and, you know, the Malathons of the world. And they're all great products. Don't get me wrong. But with the new technology that we have now, you know, we have these synthetic products that are man-made that mimic organic products, okay? So all I mean is they're they're much, much safer to use. Right. And they're not as harmful to you and I. They're not as harmful to the environment Mm -hmm. for sure as some of these organic phosphates that we used to use. So, you know, there again, I mean, yes, you know, we still want to be thoughtful of what we do, Veda, as far as erosion like you're talking about, and the products that we use. But even the products themselves uh, are much better for us to use now than they used to be
2: well we're learning to get ahead of the problem so we don't have to use so much of the uh, negative stuff quote unquote negative stuff but to
3: fix the problem that we created right
2: but we still have to have some of it but we're just learning and more to that when we get back you're listening to kwham 99 a.m news talk radio
1: The garden help you need.
0: Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden.
6: With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
2: Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm here to ask you, how do farmers party? How do farmers party? They turn up the beats. (laughs) Jim, there's no hope. No hope. All right, so we have covered a whole lot of stuff. This has been great. Oh, and then one other thing. When I I was on the show Thursday morning, I think, with... uh, Ben Dieter. Thank you, Ben Dieter. And we were talking about houseplants and all that. So I was telling this new phrase that I'm hearing people say. And when I said that children are the new plants... But what I meant to say was, pets are the new kids, and plants are the new pets. Now, that's what that's what I'm hearing. Um, that plants are the new kids, right? Because
3: so many people are, have house plants in their houses now, but they're
2: they're waiting on having the kids or not. That's right. And so so uh,
3: that's kind of like the stopgap, if you will, right, having plants right. in the
2: house. But really, I think it was even where I think I even messed it up again.
3: Well, but I get where you're coming it's from. It's like
2: though dogs or animals are the new kids Okay, and the plants are the new pets okay okay I now got i that. got yeah. it but you see where my priorities I were <laughs> i got it all backwards so yeah so that's what's happening is we're just becoming plant families now
3: well but think about it though veda and jim and y'all know this just as well as i do you know forever in a day every garden center in the world had house plants for sale okay and there was always a, you know, maybe a peace lily and a, you know, a ficus tree or whatever, and a few plants in between. Nowadays, I mean, it is almost like I was talking to a lady. I told y'all this. People are they're like collecting house plants mm-hmm. now, and there are some people that go out and find just the rarest of the rare house plants instead of having two or three houseplants, they've got 200 houseplants.
2: plants, And it is
3: amazing. And, but I've seen this really take off in the last, mm, what,
2: three or four yeah, years. Yeah, yep, the pandemic. Well, it's like I have a big bag, some big bottles of fertilizer for houseplants or organic soil amendment for houseplants. And I'm getting it out. And I was like, well, you probably, because usually, normally. You don't have a lot of houseplants, so you're probably not wanting a bottle this big. She goes, oh, yes, I do. I I have 40 houseplants. I need that big bottle. I'm like, wow, that is just so off the wall to me. And there's so many things available that you, it's indoor landscaping now. That's what it is. Yeah. Let's go to Bob calling from Midtown. Good morning, Bob. You're in the Mid-South Garden.
1: Yes, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Veda, I think in December you had mentioned about a lady's home on one side of her house she was not getting enough sunlight in that area it was staying damp mm-hmm. what was the was there any remedy
2: Let's see. What did we? What, what? Let's see. It was getting some shade, uh, uh, or shade and damp. Cast iron plant would be one because it likes shade.
1: I see.
2: Um, oh, what's some others? I'm not even thinking right. Uh, Lakota. Uh, How much shade was it? That's what it was. Part uh, shade or all day uh,
1: shade. The what I wanted to comment about here in Midtown, and y'all may have noticed this, uh, and I know there's three different groups of houses. These builders build four of them together Mm -hmm. on a small lot. Yeah, It's about six feet between each house. The two middle houses, if it's four together, they're not getting (laughs) no sunlight or very little sunlight.
3: Between the houses, Mm -hmm. right.
1: And it depends on how the house is oriented and how many established trees may be around that area. Right. Yeah. And I've noticed, one, not too far from where I live, mildew is growing on the sides of those two middle houses. Mm-hmm. And uh,
4: yeah, I don't know
1: what the, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I'm sure the homeowners have noticed mm-hmm. that.
2: Yeah. But. how? Do, well, I would, those are some difficult situations. You know, I've noticed that more and more. And the hard part is being mm-hmm. wet and a lot of shade. So one thing you mm-hmm. would do would Try to recreate the soil some, raise it or something so you can get some better drainage. Or
1: some you, drainage yeah. between mm-hmm. those two.
2: Right, but you would just be doing hostas and ferns and, and mm-hmm. so many other smaller, you know, plants instead of just large camellias or something like that because of the, the no sun. So. And then
3: a lot of times, Bob, you know, Ew. I mean, the, the the areas can be so extreme Uh, You know, and the houses are so close together and you really get it's a horrible growing Mm -hmm. environment that you see nothing but, you know, rock and gravel. Maybe some Mondo planted in between it. And a few ground covers on either side of it. Uh, So it just,
1: you know, I've seen one group of those houses. um, One of the homeowners, the two houses in the middle, they put gravel on one side, but there's only six feet. Mm -hmm. Between your house... And
3: and, the other house.
1: You know... (laughs) yeah <laughs> so, that's
2: kind of like a spot that that you want to do some really low maintenance type plants, just you know to add well, to the whole environment and wildlife and all. but well, it may not have to be something that's you're gonna you uh, you don't want it to be something you have to maintain and take care of all the
1: time. That, that's your, yeah, that's right.
0: and when you're looking at some uh, you know only six feet between the house, only three of that's yours
2: <laughs> right
1: well, that's you know that I mean, it's one of these. The builders built a side door in the middle, yeah. and when you open the door, you're looking at your neighbor's window. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but uh, well, then
2: that then you, you say you can put a hmm. uh, trellis in front of their window, well,
3: yeah. <laughs> and then grow
2: your shade vine up that side. But Bob,
3: yeah. Bob I'm yeah. with I'm with Veda. You know, I mean, typically it's going to be you know really good, hardy, shade tolerant perennials. For example, she mentioned hostas and ferns. You know, yeah. they'll grow in those environments like that. And then, yeah. uh, you know, there are definitely ground covers, you know, whether it's monkey grass, mondo grass, right. uh, you know, typical ground covers that once they're established, they're extremely hardy. But as far as getting, you know, shrubs mm-hmm. and stuff back there, I mean, she mentioned the cast iron plant. Yeah, which, I, that's what I do. I if plant if you the want some grow oh. cast mm-hmm. iron plant. Yeah. Is
2: it, it's a pretty yeah. nice flowing green, evergreen yeah. look. Yeah.
3: Now, as far as the mildew goes back there, I think you've only got a couple choices, Bob. You can't mm. do anything. You can't move the houses. They're already that's there, right? right? Yeah, that's right, Either you're going to have to go out there from time to time and spray something very safe on the siding, you know, to kill the mm-hmm. mildew, or you have to put, a, you know, some kind of fan back there as far as circulation yeah. of air. I
1: know. I know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, I thank you for your uh, advice. Oh, well,
2: thanks for the call. I know oh, a lot oh. of people have, would like to have known the answer to that yeah. as well. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you oh. t-
3: tuning in, buddy.
2: So, yeah, I could use the use the Japanese use would be good. So there's a lot of options. I Sometimes mean, people get come in and have the preconceived notion of what they want planted there, and then when you show what has to be planted there, they're, they're disillusioned. But if, I mean, it's still going to look good, it's just not all those big blooming things that they wanted there. Yeah,
3: but I wish there was a way to, to increase the air circulation, you know, and like I said, yeah. a fan. But how, I mean, are we going to really put a fan out there? I mean, no, probably, probably not. not. So, so I mean, so then do we? You know, you, you, he mentioned a gate, mm-hmm. okay, and you go through the gate, and you there you are in the middle of both of these houses. Yeah. What you could do, though, and I've seen this before, especially with people that have pets, is they'll cut out a lot, of, a, a big portion of the gate, right. and Put in a grid, exactly, where where air can actually pass through that. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, they're doing it usually for a pet, where a pet can look yeah, out, right? But if you could somehow. You know, open up uh, and make the gate itself more airflow, mm-hmm. well, where more airflow can come through there. I really think that would help as far as the dampness and the mildew, to be honest
2: oh, with you. Oh, it does. There was um Poplar Estates, I think, mm-hmm. I used to work in there, and they had the zero lot lines, and there were so many places where there was, like, about six feet or eight feet between. Right. And the, so the gates were ornamental on the entrance and all. And then we had, like, a vine that grew up the side and over the top of the gate. So it's so it was – we started – because so it still
3: looked really yeah, good. Yeah, they
2: they want to still have privacy, but they wanted the coolness and the airflow. So then we strategically planted some ewes. So I, I did it where I'd walk by this way, and if I could see in the, in the house or – or where they would be participating in outdoor activities, then I would just plant the yew there. Right. So it was a couple of yews. We had some hydrangeas. Uh, so they still wa- had the
3: privacy yeah. that they were looking for and the
2: airflow. We had a mm-hmm. rock walkway, and there was creeping jenny and mazus all planted. Both sides, yeah, because it was wet in that little area. Creeping fig were growing up the wall mm-hmm. because the way the sun hit, mm-hmm. you actually got the sun on that wall. It was like long you've done time. landscaping
3: before. Yeah,
2: just a little landscaping. Okay, that sounds really good. That all picture right. i was just getting right.
3: but i really think if he could somehow open up the gate uh, or you know improve the airflow it would really help a lot back there
2: all right let's so run to another break and then after the break we to let jim talk and <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the Mid-South Gardening.
3: Can I say just one more thing about the mildew? Just
2: one more.
3: The moist area, you know, between the two houses, you get mildew and mold growing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they'll go out there and grab a bottle of Clorox and go out there with a pump-up sprayer and start spraying. Okay, maybe. It probably would kill the moss and mildew that's on there. Keep it under 10%, though. Yeah, but also, Jim, if you are not careful, you're going to kill everything that you just planted too heavy yeah
0: Yeah. but bleach is is ammonia okay and it can be converted into fertilizer Mm. uh, so as long as you're using a low rate you're not spraying directly on the foliage you're you're not going to bother and and also when
3: it's 110 degrees outside
2: well that gives me another question since jim said that because you said ammonia is fertilizer which is true so i have this big windex bottle and i'm With the gallon jug, two-gallon jug. Of Windex. Yeah, but we've used all the Windex and all. And it's a perfect little watering jug apparatus, you know. But I can't get the ammonia out of the plastic part. I can't get the smell out. You still smell. Yeah, but really, it wouldn't damage my plants. I've rinsed it three, four times.
0: Yeah, no, it's (laughs) likely absorbed into the plastic.
2: Yeah, that's that's what it is, so... Because, I I mean, yeah, and we've got some if, copper. Go ahead.
0: If it's set full of water for a while, you'd have a maybe a little bit leached back into mm-hmm. it. But the, the amount would be so small. Yeah, because it's a fertilizer.
2: It would be fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we sell these beautiful, wonderful copper watering cans that look so decorative when you water mm-hmm. and pretty sitting out, oh, you know. Yeah. Co- but... I water with a two-gallon milk jug. Yeah, go One-gallon <laughs> milk. I know. It's yeah, that just, doesn't mean the nozzle works right. Except you can't. I do need the long spout yeah. on a lot of things, but that mm-hmm. gallon two gallon milk jug works really good
3: but we're not saying go out there and get an old gas can and use that as your water yeah we're not saying that at all okay so keep that in mind
2: well yeah because it just been pond i've been pondering every day i I put organic matter and water in the ammonia thing thinking maybe some of the organic microbes would would process that ammonia smell out or or whatever and it's still there and i'm like i don't really think it's going to hurt the plants now now, and some
3: and of course a little
0: febreze in there probably take it out
2: I'm going to have to Smart. try that.
0: It's an enzyme. It'll absorb most of that and then just wash it. Back oh, out that's true. You should take part of it out.
2: Well, now I'm wondering, can I do uh, charcoal or baking soda or... The yeah, I mean, breeze is much easier, it isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, we used to sell a product for uh, <coughs> a company I worked for that they sprayed inside of rail cars. Uh, they would take cow hides that were freshly harvested, put them in a rail car, send them to um Ew. overseas to China yeah. to make leather products yeah. and they would send the empty container back and it had not been cleaned out it had blood and Ew. oh it was it's a mess yeah. and they go in there and spray it with this really industrial strength Febreze to clean it out and get the smell out that'd be darn uh, so it it works uh, it works pretty well
2: well they should have had Febreze invented you know they there's that you could get like when animals die in your house and there's this little bottle of this smelly stuff you're supposed to put around and that'll get rid of the smell. But I don't know which one was worse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> why can't we have been using How about the breeds? no
3: scent, you know, that you get that masked or actually destroys the molecules that are causing the, uh, you know, the the smell, if you mm-hmm. will. There's some good products out there that do that. Interesting. But, Veda, I am I think I'm going to just get you a, a nice watering can. It right. doesn't have to be a copper <laughs> watering can that look great like yeah. you said. I think I'm going to just get you a plastic watering can and call I, it a day. I
2: don't know why we're able to keep up with that milk jug watering can and not our other watering cans. It's <laughs> what is confusing to me. And I think it's because it can store easier because there's not a long spout, so you can just put it under things. For that long spout, you kick it and trip over it, and you can't stick it under something. Because, right, I mean, we're watering 500 house plants. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
3: There's a product um, that you can find at most garden centers, and I told you I was going to bring this up, is uh, the product is called Spreader Sticker, okay? Okay. Spreader (laughs) Sticker. So it's just a very simple product that I always, myself, I just overlook and never think about this product. But what spreaders? If you ever read about it, what spreader sticker really does? It's it's a product. It's a what a non a non ionic surfactant, Mm -hmm. Jim. Unlike say Dawn soap, which is a ionic surfactant, uh, that can actually hurt the cuticle of the plants. But usually, when you get like a spreader sticker and you mix it with a insecticide, for example, and you go out there and you spray your whatever to kill the insects, this product that you've added to the insecticide. Will actually make the water particle spread out over the leaf or spread out hmm. over the the uh, the trunks or whatever. It may help it make it stick. In other words, if you're spraying a very waxy leafed plant like Cleara for example, you know how really waxy that leaf mm-hmm. is. If you go out there and spray Cleara with just water, it beads up and rolls so right off. You're
2: mm-hmm. kind of think <clears throat> about you waxed a car. And then you spray water exactly. on it Exactly, it beads, it beads up. up and
3: rolls right off. So but there, water does the same thing.
2: Right, on waxy plants. Yeah. So that way it's not being absorbed. Well, so Exactly.
3: So you get this spreader sticker okay. like you're saying Veda. You add it to the uh, to the product and it really levels the water out. Okay? It, mm-hmm. it it actually spreads the water out over the surface of that leaf and it helps it stick on there. So you know it's just one of those products that really make a lot of products work a lot better. Yeah, We talked about
0: how um, it works for things like drenches because it actually separates soil
3: particles so that water flows through the soil deeper so the the product that we, use, like tree and shrub insect drench, Jim, right. that we mix with water and pour around the crepe myrtles to kill crepe myrtle bark scale. Uh, don't bring.
2: I knew you'd bring up crepe myrtle. To come I, back. I, I, I was had
3: to do it. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, but, but my point right
3: here, y'all. So you're saying if you add spreader sticker to that drench, it actually makes that product work better yes. than not using it in there.
0: Yeah. And, a lot of herbicides, like uh, broadleaf weed killers, have some surfactant in them mm-hmm. to help them stick to it. But I've always felt like it was a good idea to add some extra because things like uh, wild onions, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Violets, very difficult mm-hmm. to get the stuff to stick to the foliage. And if it doesn't, it ain't going to do any good. Mm-hmm. So it, it works quite well at doing it. It's you know fairly inexpensive. You don't use but a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it
3: will really enhance your kill with herbicides. Yeah, and it, but I think mm-hmm. it's just one of those products that we're not using enough yeah. of. Now, and like Jim said, some products you know already have a surfactant added to it, and some products you surely don't need to add it to it. Any kind of oil spray, like neem oil, mm-hmm. neem oil is a surfactant <laughs> within itself. Okay, because right. it's going to stick to whatever you spray it on because it is an oil-based spray. Hort oil the same way, dormant oil the same way.
2: So what about? Um, Well, see, that was always the hard one for me to understand because even though I was applying things without a spreader sticker, it was still working. So then I was like, ah, well, I use a spreader sticker because it still works. But are we going to be able to reduce the amount of uh, active ingredient when we do a spreader sticker? Well, you still mix at
3: the the same amount, Veda, but you get better coverage. You don't have the runoff.
2: Yeah, that you typically that have because if you go out there and just spray off, your yeah.
3: shrubs with the uh, a, a solution of whatever with water... A lot of that runs right off the leaf into the ground.
2: Or you get a better kill, possibly, where, Absolutely. I mean, it's dying either way, but you don't know how far.
0: It moves into the crotches better. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've got debris, just dust and stuff that's accumulated in the axis of leaves, you got insects hiding underneath that. Do. Mm-hmm. And by putting a surfactant in it, it wraps that stuff up and penetrates all the way down to the stem. So you're going to get a better kill with a surfactant than you mm-hmm. will if you don't.
3: I mean, to me, it's kind of like, you know, when I sell a tree or a shrub, I always mention a root stimulator Mm -hmm. because I want to get this root system off to a good start and that's actually good knowledge that the consumer needs to know right Right. well I'm beginning to feel that way honestly the more I read about these spreader stickers I really think it's going to increase the I mean the it's
2: going to make the product better so But basically, you can buy a bottle of spreader sticker and use it multi-times with multi-products. Oh, yeah. I'm not buying like a $20 bottle of Image and then a $20 bottle and then... That only works for that. So a spreader sticker is not a huge in investment. Not at all. And you actually kind of get your money back because your other stuff's more... And um,
0: so many things, like post-herbicide, you need to add a surfactant to it because it ha- prevents it from breaking down quickly. Mm-hmm. Sunlight breaks it down very quickly. So if by putting a surfactant with it, it prevents that from happening. And you're going to get a
3: much better kill mm-hmm. by adding the surfactant to it. So it's just one of those products, guys. Just... just read about it, think about it, know what it does. And I really think the benefits of a spreader sticker, uh, it, it just, it, it's worth its weight in gold, to be honest with you.
2: Right. It sounds so. I like that. That's something kind of new to add to our industry. Uh, but It's been there around forever, oh, but been... we just never really understood the whole process behind it. And it makes a lot and of I sense. And I don't know,
3: I mean, you know, it's just one of those things I was reading about. And, and like I said, the more I started digging into it, the more I read about it, I'm like, you know, this really is a good byproduct. It's, yeah. it's just, it, it's going to make everything that you use it with more effective as mm-hmm. the what I was trying to say a while ago.
2: So, today you can put your pre-emergent down, stop the weeds before they start. You can spray some of the weed killers, the ones that... Uh, like the the weed freeze yeah, though, free long as it's
3: above forty five degrees, it's that going we'll to get
2: work. With that definitely prepare your flower beds, shrub beds. You can throw out compost, natural fertilizers if you want to do that, so you don't have to do that later. These are head start things. Yeah, you know, I mean, of course, uh, you can fertilize or. Well, amending your soil right now is kind of giving you a little chance to percolate, as we were talking about that earlier, getting your bed settled. Um, And, of course, Jim's been teasing me over there with those beautiful magazines of plants. And so I'm looking forward to after the break talking about some of those. Uh, I want to talk about some of the new Gen, is it new Gen X, Gen Boxwoods? There's just one that I'm thinking going to be my go-to box the independence and the freedoms
3: for example we'll talk more about those
2: Yeah, i like those and just lots of more advice to go we can get a lot in in 30 minutes so we still have time for you to to give us a call 260-5926 Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the Mid-South Garden.
3: She's dancing again. I
2: saw you. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I can do it, but it ain't pretty.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that was either. <laughs> if you want to give um, us a call
3: this morning, 901-260-5926, and you can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page.
2: Well, see, our gardeners dance in the garden. Yeah, That's they That's why do. they're so happy as well. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, we, you know, boxwoods are a big thing, so we're going to talk about boxwoods those. Boxwoods are a huge thing yes. here in the Mid-South. But I want to Jim, that catalog right there. I'm looking at that yeah, variegated I, 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 I just
0: stuff. brought a couple that came this week, uh, a couple from brex one is a uh, they're hosta lovers uh and they have some this new one that's on the front here is really kind of stunning it's called Siberian tiger and it is a green and white striped or it is it's kind of unusual looking i'm not sure that i would know it was a hosta from the a yeah. distance Right? Did say uh, hosta lovers or hosta fanatics? I know.
2: Yeah. I was wondering if you were going to catch it's, that, it's Kenneth. It's got 23
0: <laughs> new offerings in this Ooh, particular one. Uh, you know, you know, the, these are not cheap even on it's 75% off. Um, this one is uh, on sale for twenty nine ninety nine, dollars 99 and it, after May 30th, it's going to be $59.99 mm, for this. Crazy. You're going to get a little four-inch pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are nice to look at, but let me tell you, most of these hostas in this are not uh, uncommon. You can pick <laughs> these up and what you're going to get for what you pay for, yeah. you're going to get a 4-inch pot here for under 20 bucks on most of these where you can buy... Uh, a, a huge gallon for at your garden half of, of that it. yeah mm-hmm. uh, and you know a three gallon for just a little bit more so yeah. they so um, be careful with what you're right. looking at and ordering is what it's, you're saying you know in jail. it's great if you're in an area where there aren't any retailers that carry things it's an opportunity for you to get something new but they're uh, they are not cheap um, th- their spring catalog Brex also came it's got hundreds of uh, really I think new varieties in it uh, which uh, is great uh, mostly perennials. Um, but it's, it has pretty pictures and gives you a good idea of something to look for. But like here, um, you're going to get purple shamrock, which is real common. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dallas, you yeah. You get 10 little roots for twelve ninety nine. What? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> And they're that's, little. And that's really expensive. Yeah. So they're a good source for information. Also, Spring Hill came, uh, save up to 75%, you know, but
3: uh, it expires March 15th, So by quickly. Uh. <laughs> So you're saying, Jim, you use a lot of these just more as a as a catalog to read yeah, and to look for things for the spring in yeah. the garden centers. But mm-hmm. but instead of you really ordering out of these, they they sound like seventy five percent off, but they're yeah. really the, the, yeah. the, a lot of these are retail prices. Pretty much the now the only
0: uh, uh, mail order company I deal with is Plant Delights because mm-hmm. they have. They have things that just nobody else has. Yeah, uh, really unusual plants, and and so I. And he's I, in the I,
2: southern areas too.
0: D- yeah, and I, so I buy a good bit there over in North Carolina, and and the guys done wonderful mm-hmm. work over there. They've kind of he's developed an arboretum which is joined with the University of North Carolina.
2: Is that Alan Armitage? Is he the no, plants No, this the is uh,
0: this is um. Uh, Who Ms. is Avance a- a- his last name. Oh, okay.
2: Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a good one too.
0: Yeah. So. Um, but anyway he because like he's got uh, you know spider lilies like chorus mm-hmm. he has something like 900 cultivars of just that one plant Jeez. you know that he's collected from Ooh. around the world uh, so
3: it's
2: but yeah, he's, up for, he's got uh, the email and I'm always checking to see he, some he's getting closing out and then new ones are coming in but he's like it's like a for real plant collector I yeah, he, product yeah. and, you know and yeah. last
0: year he had one of uh, uh, Paul little's uh, developed sedums in there. Uh, yeah. I haven't looked this year to mm-hmm. see if it's in there, buddy. It's. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: um, it was it the little K one or is uh, there he,
0: You know, I've forgotten which mm-hmm. one he calls it. But um, yeah, but yeah, it's he's just got so, so, such unusual plants.
3: I say still go by your independent garden center make sure you yeah, take uh-huh. a look there. But where we mentioned, you know, for example, spring bulbs. You know, our spring bulb just came in. And I saw, Jim, when you were flipping the pages, these beautiful blooming mm-hmm. gladiotas. Okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I had a young lady call me the other day. She wants me to pull some gladiotas bulbs for her, not only because she likes the way they look and she knows they're great cut flowers, but she's planting them for hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. And I would have never yeah. in my life thought that glad blooms would be perfect for hummingbirds. You know, and she yeah, said it attracts is. them like a hummingbird feeder. Oh, I'm telling you. So that so. would
2: be pretty even in a container like your centerpiece. Yes. Your hummingbird container. But also
3: hostas, you know, you mentioned hostas, hosta lovers. I mean, hostas, it's one of, to me, is one of the most versatile shade perennials you can ever get your hands on. But we all know that one of the problems with hostas is you put it in the ground, the voles, the V-O-L-E-S, they love them just as much well, as just, we do. We just
2: got to quit telling the voles that they like so, them and maybe they'll just go so, away. So
3: really, guys, I mean, other than planting them in a cage or a pot with the bottom cut out, I mean, is there is there anything that we should or shouldn't do when we're planting well, hospitals I've, I've
0: had excellent
3: results with
0: the uh, the mold go type products the soil Perfector, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind the, of like a rock well that if we, but more the uh, the liquid the, uh, the, ester- Gasterol, the okay yeah. uh, saturating you know because uh, most of mine are in elevated beds Uh, And I brought in a mix when I planted them that has some clay in it and it's got some pine bark in it. Uh, And it's a fairly loose mix. So when it goes in, it percolates down through it. And I've had
3: excellent, I've only killed one vole in the 20 years that I've been there. And how often, would Jim, would you use the either granulated mole max, which is granulated yeah. castor oil, or the mole go that you mentioned, which is a liquid? About, about every 60 days. Okay, good.
2: Yeah. That's not horrible. Yeah, That's and not, and it, oh. yeah.
0: And for 25 bucks or so, you can do 10,000 square feet, right. you mm. know. So, and I, I don't have maybe 3,000 square feet max of Whole yard. I thought he was going to say three thousand hospitals. I did I too. Like, no,
2: <laughs> I would just,
4: believe it. One
0: hundred and fifteen or so. Good. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, I just don't have that much bed. So you know, mm-hmm. I don't. You, when I get out there and hook it, hook that little hose and sprayer to the. To the uh, hose it doesn't look like i've even used
3: any yeah. by the time i've done all my beds. and, and mole goal m-o-l-e dash geo is a mole and vole repellent and right. it's ready to spray yes, you just it hook is. it to your hose and take off is can all you get you it on
2: your plants oh yes yeah. you can spray it Love right over it. the
0: plants and and you know i had for a number of years i had m- moles get into the yard and since i've been using that uh, they're not coming by anymore. I can see them in my neighbor's yard, have no mm-hmm. problem with that. Uh, <laughs> I, bet yeah. I you don't. But they're not. I, I, I particularly spray heavy along the boundaries mm-hmm. uh, so that they go through three to four feet at least of covered area. And it's done a real good job of keeping them out of there. I, I'm a believer in it. Yeah. I, in fact, before I left Dan West, I bought a case. Right. Yep, and it's very, very safe to use, Jim, as yeah. you know. Vader. Right. Just um, you know, keep your pets off of it till it dries. Just dry. You know? yeah. But it's not even going to hurt them right. if you got some on Just do
2: them. it. Yeah. So, um, with the mo, with your mold products, I think you should go ahead and get them and have that arsenal ready. On well, some things, because a lot of times you'll discover you have mole problems, but you can't get to the store for a week, two weeks. All yeah. of a sudden, it's three weeks, and it gets out of hand. So if you have and some, then twenty-seven
3: of your hostas have disappeared. Yeah, yeah and I really yeah. think I'd rather honestly have a mole problem than a vole problem. Probably so,
4: because the yeah.
3: voles—they, I mean—they're the little mouse-like creatures that are just mm-hmm. gnawing the roots off of your desirables, yeah. and they love hostas. By the but
0: way, but
2: you were saying that the um, mole go works for the yes. voles also. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It'll work for
0: skunks, works for armadillos. I mean, it'll work for anything that digs in the soil. Mm -hmm. It just irritates their nasal passages, Mm -hmm. and they just don't like the smell of it. Even
2: a dog, maybe.
0: You know, and once you spray, you'll spray. I can smell it for a day or Mm -hmm. two.
2: Yeah.
3: But then after that, I don't smell it anymore. Yeah. You know.
2: And And it doesn't stink. Well, but we all
3: know that, and and just, you know, when when we were talking about hostas, I mean, we all know that, I mean they truly are caviar to evolve. Yeah, they really are. So they
2: are. um and they we were talking about the the prices and the little things that you get in the the seed catalogs or the uh cuttings catalogs. say so it's it's just it's so hard now because there's so much more um information available out there to discern what to do. But like Jim was saying <clears throat> and I noticed this on house plants you can look online and get a pothos that we're selling in a four-inch container for nine dollars but they're um, selling it for thirty dollars it's yeah. just a plain old pothos um, exotic plants they're marking them up huge amounts like you can get exotic um, type of philodendron online for five hundred dollars but I can sell it to you for a hundred you know and why they do it because they can right so mm-hmm. so I mean yes you can get great deals on, on online and other things like that but maybe check into it a little bit more. And then the other thing we were talking about, the shade plants where you can plant here or there. And so on the break, I looked up, I was like, okay, just, you know, what does the web say? Mm-hmm. And so I looked through this list and I'm going, that, no, 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 that doesn't work in, in shade, shade. And I go, where are they getting this information? And the information came from various websites. sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't you know, come from reliability. That's
0: mm-hmm. that's the issue. What you read on the web is written by writers. They're not. The vast majority of it is not written by anybody who has got their fingernails dirty. And
3: you're not saying that it's all wrong, Jim. Right. You're I'm just not. saying be aware. They're taking
0: information from de- various sites, universities, but also when you look at a university, they're growing under ideal conditions. They're growing test garden type. Right. It ain't like that in the real yeah, world. True, okay? true. You slap it in the ground, you water <laughs> it, and you hope the dang thing That's lives. That's
2: it. Exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. so true. Exactly. All right. We'll be right back. We've got time for Mr. Paul. And a few boxwoods, and we'll be back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. Early, we were talking about Plants Delight, and, and our local Mr. Paul um, ha- Plants Delight has one of his plants, and he has called us this morning. Thank you, Mr. Paul. You're in
5: the garden. Good morning, Beta, Kenneth, and Jim. How y'all doing? We're doing great, Good. Mr.
3: Paul. My day just got mm-hmm. better.
5: Well,
7: good. Glad to hear
3: it. <clears throat> now, what's going on with, hey, you know, Paul, I don't ever talk to you enough or hear from you enough, quite honestly. I'm not going to give you a lot of grief, okay, because I love you to death. <laughs> but, but I tell you what, when I do hear you, Mr. Paul, it's just, it makes my day. I'm just telling you.
5: Well, I'm, I, I always enjoy listening to y'all because we get a lot of, a lot of good information that, uh, that everybody needs and nobody a lot of times nobody pays attention to i heard veda talking while we go about you tell people what plants are going to grow in a certain environment Mm -hmm. and then they'll give you a list of what they want to grow in there (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i don't care what you tell them they're going to go out there and get that plant that you told them wouldn't, because they think they can make it grow mm. in that
7: crazy wet place.
5: Exactly,
3: <laughs> and I love and Paul. I have to say, I love to see that because people do stick their neck out and try things that you know normally I wouldn't try. So
5: yeah, well, that's, you know, Jim always tries a lot of plants that are real borderline, and which a lot of times we have success with those. But uh, it's just, uh, it's brave people that do that. And with, again, we find out sometimes they don't work. You know, well,
0: Brave's not the word. I think stupid is
5: <laughs> <laughs> <it's> closer. <laughs> now, Mr.
3: Paul, they were also talking about some of the sedums that you used to sell, and I think some of them that actually you even named, some of the hybrid sedums that just grew in your greenhouses. Like, you know, was it we, Little Miss yeah, Kate?
5: We, we kind of... We kind of uh, we developed. We didn't really hybridize. Um, we're what I found out after we did that on a couple of them that what that term is for the kind of plants that we is a passive breeder. Mm. It's where you really don't do anything except you watch. <laughs> yeah, and when you find something different, that's the same way with the one that. Uh, plant that I has that little China, right? Which is Chinese sedum, but it's a real miniature form of it. Isn't
3: that, that crazy? And you're yeah. saying it just it was just a sport that grew yeah. on its own, and then you take that and create. You basically have a new type of sedum.
5: Exactly. Well, you just develop it. You just propagate off of that one uh, one particular plant and. You keep it isolated, you have to, in order for it to ever get mm-hmm. trademarked or anything, you have to do it for like years and yeah. years.
2: And years, but, I, that's uh, amazing. Hey, what's the name of the one that is at Plant Delights that you did?
5: It's called Little China. It's feed oh. to attract uh,
2: All right. So, y'all, you know, gardens are memory gardens. And plus, you have people come over and look at your garden so you can tell stories about the garden. So, you have to get this one uh, from Plants Delight so y'all can say, they're local Memphis man. Yeah. And of course,
3: (laughs) Mr. Paul told me, you know, 100 years ago that he could have grown anything in the world other than ground covers, right? (laughs) And and other than sedums. And he said, I know I'll never get rich selling Uh sedums. which I could have gotten rich selling something else, mm-hmm. but I love that Paul's passion was in the mm-hmm. sedums, and that's really to me why people have mm-hmm. sedums here in the mid south is because of Mister Paul. Paul.
5: Yeah. Well, well, you can you get that from Tony Event. It's about fifteen dollars for a four inch pot, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can remember back when we had the plant sales. Uh, it's the botanic garden and, you know, the spring fling and all that, mm-hmm. where you could get the same pot for $6. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or three for $20. We don't, <laughs> it, exactly. We don't care. If we want to plant, we want to plant. And people, it's like some of those hostas are high dollar, and people just keep on buying them.
3: Well, thank goodness for that. I'm telling you. Well, Paul, it's, exactly. always, it's always great to hear from you. If we can ever do anything in the world for you, you be sure to let us know. And if we, of course, now if we need you, we're going to let you know
5: also. All right. Well, we love you guys and thank you all for all the good work you do.
2: Thank you, Mr. Paul. Thank you. Thanks so much for calling in. Right. That's, you're welcome. And, and did
3: you hear what Jim said a second ago? Like Mr. Paul said, you can get a four inch pot mm-hmm. for six dollars, and Jim said, "Yeah, you can get three, three for 20. 20. Yeah, yeah no, like, it's so funny. Oh, that doesn't add up. Yeah, right. Well. They do. <laughs>
0: Guy that works with him, did that had a customer come up and say, you know, they're, um these sedums are like five dollars a piece or two for ten. She said, oh, well, get me two of them. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's all that's that whole psychological pricing thing. Right. Ninety nine, or you're going to buy it for six ninety nine, oh, or seven twenty. Well, they're going to go six ninety nine because it's psychologically. That's just up. funny though. It is,
3: and, and I always remember when they were having the sales, Veda and Jim at the Red Barn at the Ag mm-hmm. Center. And for some reason, every time they would have that freaking spring sale, it would be 20 degrees outside, frost on the ground, freezing. They'd have the big 50-gallon barrel in there with wood, and they were burning this thing. You know to stay warm And for some reason Mr. Paul always complained That his booth mm-hmm. Was always on the First one at the door
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, Exactly the wind in, came yes.
3: Barrowing down It was there. like a wind exactly. tunnel In that red barn You know And
2: those sedums Are like I'm fine Yeah oh they're I'm fine good. I'm good So on the the boxwood You know we had this All these different kinds Of blo- boxwood blights And everything coming out With and we're looking for Some that are more resistant And I found one That's going to be My favorite And then Jim was like Well that's been around For a while mm-hmm. And it's all." On Jim's list mm-hmm. but I'm like in the Chicago Land green boxwood um, it's a uh, more resistant and it looks more like an English boxwood and it's about like a three by three boxwood mm-hmm. grows kind of slow
0: and usually doesn't bronze any during the mm-hmm. winter
2: that no. was the other thing that I liked right. it
4: yeah no,
0: this year probably did get a little bronzing because mm-hmm. most boxwood did and one of the problem with them is when most people that grow boxwood grow them shaped you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and so they. I'm tip, raising my hand over here. Jim. Yeah, they tip trim them fairly mm-hmm. often, and if you tip trim them after about July one, that new growth won't have hardened off very well. So you'll get yeah. a little bronzing this year. They got you know even further down the wood because of the flash freeze. It just hadn't hardened off. Right. So they look pretty bad. But I think most of them just a, a good um three to four inch tip trimming is going to make them flush let's hope Mm. that's wood good enough to flush new growth okay because if you cut them back hard it can take years for them to recover and look good so, you yeah, they they don't really like to be that heavy, hard pruning. Right. And, you know, if you're wanting to replace a three-foot round boxwood, you're mm-hmm. talking about
3: 150 bucks or more. Depending or more. on the variety. Yeah. 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 You know, they're they're not cheap. Right. But, Veda, you mentioned, you know, the new hybrid boxwoods. And there's so many on the market. And they're coming out with them, it seems like, every year. Mm-hmm. But these in particular are the, are the new gen. N-E-W-G-E-N. Yeah. New generation boxwoods. Mm-hmm. And like you just said... In a lot of, you know, in lots of parts of the country, especially on the East Coast, they're having a horrible time with the boxwood blight. And these new-gen boxwoods are definitely more resistant, not proof, but they're more resistant to this boxwood blight that we've had two or three situations Mm -hmm. here in Shelby County where people had boxwood blight.
2: That's intense. Well, I'm glad that people are still studying and developing because, you know, with environment well it's kind of like we create our own environment and then we put plants in it that don't want that environment Mm -hmm. so uh then we have to work extra hard to make those grow but now so many plants are being hybridized to grow in our smaller yards or in our different situations and
0: memphis is a different situation in itself Um, If you were going to grow plants anywhere in the country, you could not pick a worse one for leaf diseases. Yeah. I mean, the humidity here, the heat of the summer, the summer nights, this is just terrible. Uh I used to try to grow a a phlox called Orange Perfection. Uh It was advertised as being disease-resistant, powdery mildew. Ate it up every year. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't right. get a flower off it because of thing. the conditions that it's growing in right. here in the mid south. Right. You know, and I have a a um, uh, uh, what's the the purple one that's so popular? I can't like think David, of it. David or well, David's white. David's oh, yeah, white. Right. Yeah, but a David or something similar just bloom. It's a little hard out in the same place. You know, yeah. just do great Robert po- um, Robert Poor. Poor. That's the yeah. one I was trying to think okay. of. You know, I, that's one of my favorites, and it does well every single year. Gets. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of mildew at the bottom, but not much. But orange perfection—it's just not possible here.
2: All right. So mid-south gardeners just know that you're a special kind of gardener. Yes, you are. If you can make anything grow here, you're great. We will see y'all next Saturday in the garden.